Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Well, are you guys excited for tonight? I am. I am. Hopefully you guys all got a piece of paper for notes. Let me go ahead and uh, just start off on everyone. Let's, let's all say it together, right? Relationship. Okay. The more you can kind of add that little, the better it is, okay? So on the count of three, one, two, three, relationship check. There we go, okay. Uh, as some of you know, we got this title, this title for this relationship seminar through TikTok. Now, some of you are always shocked when you find out that I have an account. I don't, I don't, I haven't put any videos, you know, I'm not following, well, uh, not too many people, no one's really, I think maybe one person is following me. Like, I, I try to keep it kind of on the down low. But I follow different accounts, mostly sports, um, uh, some other health things and stuff like that. And it was interesting because when I was looking through TikTok, uh, when I first started getting into it, I, I realized, wow, here are some people who are really trying to make it in the world. I don't know if you know this or not, but those of you who are not familiar, bottom line is TikTok is a platform, social media platform, where you put up these videos of yourself. And a lot of it deals with dancing and sharing different insights. And it's funny because there are a lot of people who are not really musicians nor dancers, but it's a way to express themselves. Now, just so that you know that there are people who are really good who are trying to get famous. As you know, Justin Bieber was found through YouTube. And in the same way, a lot of people believe that through their talents, they could be found in TikTok. And I think some people are actually being discovered in that way. And some of them are pretty good musically and artistically. And what I found out really interesting is that there is this thing called something blank check. And so they will have like, like what we're doing, relationships check. And these are videos that kind of give uh, overview of whatever that is. We're making a check to say, it's like a checklist. Here are all the things of blank, whatever it is, and here are some pictures and videos to show you. So some of the things that came up actually was a Hong Kong check. I don't know how many of you guys have seen that, the Hong Kong check. Okay, not too many are on TikTok. Now, they should pay me because now we're going to try to encourage you guys to get TikTok. Don't, it's going to ruin your life. The first, this is just my confession. The first week, I, I don't even know when I got this, maybe several months back, but the first week when I was looking through TikTok, you just kind of start scrolling through different videos. And it's really interesting. You're like, oh, that's funny, funny, ha, ha, ha. And all of a sudden, an hour later, holy cow. Like, you literally, a whole hour passes and you're watching all these videos. So it is addictive. You got to have a lot of self-control. Uh, some of these people, like I said, are really hilarious on it. And uh, I'm realizing more and more that it, it's not the best platform to, if you really have to study for an exam, and if you have to prepare a sermon and other things like that. So keep that in mind. So there's this thing called the Hong Kong check-in. So what they do is they show all these different pictures and videos of Hong Kong. Uh, they have another one called My Rich Friends Check. Did you ever see that one? That's really hilarious because what they do is say, hey, my best friend or my good friend is really rich, and let me show you. And they start taking pictures of yachts and their homes and different places uh, around wherever they live. And to see some of these really wealthy people is kind of interesting. They have another thing called My Famous Relative Check. 
So pretty much what they're saying is that we are related to someone really famous. And once again, they show all these different pictures and all these videos. They even have, believe it or not, I haven't seen it yet, but I was doing some research. They have this thing called the handwriting check. How many of you have seen that one? Okay, some of you have. Some of you still don't have TikTok. Some of you are still trying to figure out what this is. But anyway, what they do is they're actually writing with their handwriting. It's a handwriting, but their handwriting looked like computer-typed um, paper on pieces of paper. It's incredible. And so when they go, handwriting check, what they're doing is they're actually showing you as they're writing, and their handwritings are phenomenal. I'm just like, wow, I wish I had that kind of handwriting. So there's everything from rich friend check to handwriting check and all these crazy different checks and that's why today we're going to talk about relationship check just to make sure we're all on the same page and in the same concept I want to make sure if some of you are thinking about a relationship hoping for a relationship are in a relationship or you just broke up from a relationship, that there will be these checks that you can say, okay, these things are all in order, and hopefully through that, as you proceed forward, that God will bless you in relationships. One of the things that we do value is these God-centered relationships that will ultimately lead to marriage. Why? Because when you have good marriages and with good families, you change the society or the community that you're in. And every single generation where there's a breakdown in family, there's always issues in society that's connected to that. That's why I want to see a whole new generation of people who go into healthy relationships, eventually get married, have children, have families, and be able to make a difference. Because my heart is always for transformation. I want to see transformation not only of lives, but of the world. And that means that we need to invest in good and healthy relationships. So as we get started here, I wanted to show you this quick video. How many of you heard of PragerU? Anybody? Okay, only a handful of you. Some of you haven't heard of it. Let me highly recommend this website to you because they produce three to sometimes five-minute videos on a lot of the hottest topics in the world, whether from politics to abortion to whatever it is. It is almost like an encyclopedia of just certain views, and what I would say is this, the person who started it, Dennis Prager, he is a, a Jewish person by upbringing and culture, so he's not a believer, but because there are a lot of similarities of Judeo-Christian values, that a lot of the things that they espouse are very similar to what we as Christians or Christ followers would believe. Now, it, it's controversial. There are a lot of things that go against what the media teaches, there are a lot of things that some of your good friends or the people that you hang out with at the university would not agree with. But what it does is that it arms you with really solid, logical arguments to be able to at least fight back in a nice way. But to be able to have discussions on some of these topics. And so I want to just encourage some of you to look that up uh, and whatever topic. You can just go to the website, put in the topic, and they'll have many different vi videos regarding that topic. And a lot of it is dealing with the this, this different things of the world, cultural norms of this world, trying to be able to uh, espouse more of a conservative or a Christian Judeo Christian values. So I think it's going to be really helpful for some of you, especially if you have to write a paper and you have to write an opposition paper. 
like watching some of these videos will really help you to at least get your mind thinking and you could do further research on these things. I'm a big fan of it and uh, I, I subscribe to it through Twitter and through other means and so when are, whenever there are different videos that come up, I'm able to look at it, especially if it's something that I feel pretty interested in. So I think it's going to be really, really helpful for you. So I'm going to show you this video. And there's one person, she talks about relationships and how the relationships, how we should approach it. I don't know if she's a believer or not. She might be. That she's saying is so different from what the world espouses and what the world tells us that I think the points that she makes will help you to, to challenge you, actually, to think about what is your worldview on relationships. And those of you who believe that you have a Christian worldview, to have more conviction why it is so important to hold some of these views. So let's watch this together, and then we're going to break up into little huddle uh, groups and then talk through this video. I know some of you don't agree, but just watch, okay? Send me that email 10 years later. This is what we're going to do. I wanted us to break up into smaller groups so that we can actually talk through this a little bit instead of just being a talking head up here and me just sharing with you. Um, I, I was wondering if we could just maybe get in groups of three, no more than three, so that everyone can talk. Because we have limited time, I'm going to be very precise in how long you have. And so you got to jump right into it and start sharing. If one person dominates the conversation, just look, give them a dirty look and you just kind of butt in and make sure everyone share something. So you might want to have a timekeeper in your group. So please go ahead and make that group. Here are two questions I want you to talk about. First is what are some things that you agreed with or disagreed with in the video? And number two, who or what has shaped your view of relationships or marriage the most? So now, if you get three guys to go through, oh, that, was, that was all right, and then we're done, okay? So you know how it goes. But then if you get three girls who are like, oh, seriously, those guys are such jerks. And it's going to be a complaining session. So therefore, to avoid some of these things, I want to really invite you to mix up your group as best as you can. Now, I understand if there's more women here, it's going to be harder to have a nice, even group. But even though it's a group of three, try to at least have one person from the opposite gender so it could be a different perspective. And some of you men, your group will go a little bit longer and talking, okay? They will make you talk, all right? So go ahead and find a group of three. If not, you could just pair up with somebody. They're not going to be your marriage partner, but pair up with somebody and go ahead and discuss these two questions up here. All right. Well, I have never seen a huddle group this talkative and this loud. In fact, I think we need to get one of those uh, noise meters and to measure how loud it is. Wow. So we'll have another huddle group, so make sure the people that you're with, you're going to be with again. But let's go ahead and get, just get started. I hope that video kind of gave you a little glimpse even though it's not necessarily all about Christ and things like that, the values, I believe, are very consistent with what the Scripture says. So what I want to do is, as we get started, I want to first establish a foundation. Everyone say foundation. foundation. And the foundation in regards to relationship and also getting married. This is very, very important. And so as I talk about the foundation, I want to talk about how our motives have to be different in terms of why we want to get in a relationship, why we want to get married, why we should get married. All these things, our motives have to be different. I also want to talk about the methods. 
why and how, the how then becomes important. How do I enter into a relationship? How do I see this relationship in such a way that will lead towards marriage? So those are the two major things. And then at the end, I want to give you a list of things for a check. Just, just make sure that they're all lined up with what the scripture says. So let me talk about how our motives must be different from the world and how we, other people do it. Is that as Christ followers, we don't just follow the philosophies of this world. It is very clear. I know many of you know this up here, but it's amazing how many of us don't really believe it in our hearts. In fact, just look at our lives. How many things do we read in Scripture that we know here, but the way we live our lives are so different? And so, in fact, I've been telling people we live more to the philosophies of this world than what the Bible says and the commands of God, the principles of God. So in order for our motives towards relationship and marriage to be different, there are a couple things that I want you to keep in mind. The first, I want to talk about the biblical commands. What are some biblical foundational things that we need to understand about relationships and marriage? The first thing is this. Marriage is God's plan for society. I'm not going to have time to look up these verses, so we're going to just put it up there. So you might want to jot it down, and you can look at it later. But marriage is God's plan for society. The world right now... They are trying so hard to rewrite the definition and the purpose of marriage. Just like what she was saying, that it's a piece of paper, it's very trivial, but we need to hold firm and believe that marriage is God's idea and God's plan for life. That a man and a woman will come together as one flesh and be fruitful and multiply. Like I said, we are living in a world where they're trying to redefine what marriage is. And I think it's really important to understand it from Scripture, what the whole purpose and the philosophy of marriage is all about. Another thing that I want you to understand when it comes to the biblical commands is that marriage is a reflection of Christ's love for the church. Marriage is a reflection of Christ's love for the church. There is such a high view of marriage. We need to have a high view of marriage because it gives us a glimpse of Christ's love for the church, which is his bride. And you see this in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, we have this privilege of displaying Christ's love by loving our future spouse well. Those of you who are men One of these days as you get married, the way you love your wife will be able to display to the world how much Christ loves the church. That's why, can I just challenge some of you right now? Men, I'm going to come pretty hard on men, but also come strong on some of the women, but I want to share this with you. Like for some of you who do not love the church, you're not building up the church. If you really believe that Jesus Christ and the church is his bride, the way you love the church it's a reflection of how you will in the future love your spouse. Some of you are like, huh? What does that mean? Let me share it in this way. Some of you make excuses why you don't want to serve, why you don't want to go to that meeting, and why not having this perspective of being initiative taking and trying to try to exalt Christ in it. In the same way, I'm telling you right now, when things get busy, when you start when you get married, have kids, start working, when your life will get busy. The way you treat the church right now is a glimpse of how you are going to treat your family. Some of you are like, is that true? Ladies, listen to me. From many, many years of experiencing many, many people in my lifetime, I will tell you this. A lot of the issues that come up in marriage in the future, you could always tie it back to when they were younger, especially in college. That's why when you look for a person to see their commitment to the church, because that's how they're going to treat you if they understand 
that Christ and the church is his bride. In the same way, if they understand that, that they will be able to treat you in a way that's different because the command is to love your wife as Christ loves the church. If they don't know how to love the church and they don't know how much Christ loves the church, they badmouth the church, they don't care about the church, that gives you a glimpse of what's going to happen when pressure and different stresses come in the future. So brothers, we need to get our beep in gear and do whatever we need to do and stop making excuses and grow up and learn how to love the church as Christ loves the church. The third thing that I want you to notice here is talking about biblical commands and biblical principles is that God hates divorce. You can look at Malachi chapter 2, Mark chapter 10, verse 9, and he makes it very clear that he doesn't want anything that he brought together, joined together in a covenant to be broken. Therefore, the prophet Malachi says, he says, God speaking on behalf of God, he says, I hate divorce. That's such a strong language. I hate divorce because God is the one who brings people together. It's a covenant relationship that should not be broken. But so often in our generation, we just break it whenever we don't get along or there's irreconcilable uh, uh, differences. And so we just tend to just say, you know what, just this is not going to work out. Learning how to be committed. Now, there are scripture that talks about the only case that might warrant a divorce is their marital infidelity. If there's an adultery, then that other person, because they already broken the covenant that it's already broken, then that person, the other person who's offended, can have every single right to d divorce them. But I always try to encourage people the, the principles of grace and forgiveness, not to say it's going to be easy, but to do everything possible to still come together so that's something else we need to understand number four is this believers cannot be partnered with pre-christians so what i mean by that is if you're a believer in jesus christ that you should not not only marry a non-christian or pre-christian but you should not be entering into a relationship with a pre-christian now some of you are like well what's the big deal and i've talked to so many people and there are sisters who are waiting in the church for a guy to do something but they're doing nothing because they're like little boys instead of men. And so they're dying, crying out to the Lord. Lord, there is nobody. And it's barren and dry land, desert. But here at work, it is like an ocean full of finding Nemo fish. You know, it's just like, wow, so many cute guys, tall, humorous. And they are just awesome. But they're not a believer. And I've seen many sisters struggle with this, especially if that guy is very proactive and is pursuing them to be able to say no. Now, why is this important? I share this because it is not my idea. It's not something that the church decided to tell you not to do. And the reality is this. Yes, there sometimes seems to be less choices because as people get older, less men get serious about their relationship with God. I don't want to see that in our church. I want our church to be the hot church where we get a lot of guys who's loving Jesus. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. Why are the women's voices louder with the amen? But, but you know exactly what I'm trying to say here. It's because some of these women in the churches, they look around and they realize there aren't too many men. And all the men who are good, they're already taken. So they're like, life sucks. You know, so they're just lamenting. And they are tempted 
to go out with someone who's a pre-Christian. Now, the reason why this is important is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, verse 14, in the ESV, listen to what it says. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or in other translation, it talks about that darkness. And that's why in the next sentence it says, or what fellowship has darkness, uh, light with darkness? Has, let me read it again. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, some of you are like, huh, unequal yoke? What does this mean? No wonder. Give me the message translation of this, right? Uh, I'm not, but let me, get, let me explain to you what Paul, Apostle Paul is telling the people of Corinth. When he says unequally yoked, he's using an agricultural language where a farmer would normally take two oxen. So they would take these two oxen and they would put this kind of like a wooden piece on the neck of the ox, the two oxen. And that it means that they are equally yoked. They are bound together by this wooden piece. And the reason why farmers do this is so that there will be more power as they're plowing. Because two oxen is stronger than just one ox. And so as they're plowing, the thing is that if they're equally yoked at the same level, then they are able to go in the same direction more powerfully compared to getting another animal or even a smaller one when it's unequally yoked because it's not even, it's unequally yoked, then it's going to go all over the place, and you lose the effect. So that is the imagery that the Apostle Paul is using here. It says similar size, similar uh, person moving in the same direction. There will be greater guidance and be able to accomplish what we need to accomplish. So, so this is what he's thinking. If this is the case with animals on the farm, it's not going to work when it's unequally yoked. He says, how much more would it be that if you have a believer and a pre-Christian being yoked, but it cannot be equally yoked because you're a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, but this other person is not. And so what he's saying is, it is very clear that you should not be in a relationship with a pre-Christian. Now, I understand the temptation, the struggle, but I always hear from some of the, but he's so nice. Like he's this close to becoming. So we have this thing called missionary dating, where I'm a missionary to this person, and I'm going to have him come to know Jesus Christ. Now, I've heard some that work, but I would say 90-some percent, if not more, 99.9, .9, it rarely works. In fact, let me share with you some of the heartaches that I've seen over the years. There have been some women who actually married pre-Christians, but they were very nice guys, so it seemed. And they were very open to Christian stuff, so they will even come out to church with that sister who's really committed to Jesus Christ. And after they get married, as soon as they get married, like things change. He realizes, wow, this my wife now is spending all this time at church and doing all this stuff that he ends up getting more angry. And I've seen stories and testimonies. Some of you have parents who are in this situation where one is a believer and one is not. And what happens is that that man, the husband, does not allow the wife to go to church anymore. And some of us kind of have to think through this and say, it doesn't seem like it right now. It doesn't feel like it right now. But if you have two separate people on two separate trajectories, no matter how nice he or she is, it is not going to lead towards the same direction. Let me give you another example. Any architects here or architects-to-be? No one. Okay, one. Ooh, okay. If you build a house 
on two separate blueprints. The electricians, uh, the carpenters, or these people who are putting in cement have two separate blueprints. You know what's going to happen? It's, that house is not going to stand. That's the same idea, is that if the foundation and the blueprints are different, that now we follow Christ, we obey Christ, we are guide, guided by the Bible. But this person is nice. They're, they're guided by feng shui and, I, I don't know, Chinese-isms, uh, uh, you know? Like, like a rock in the air falls down, hits you, and then, you know, the feathers flow out. You know, those Chinese uh, phrases, they always have those weird phrases or cool phrases. And if that's what guiding them, I'm telling you right now, you are on two separate foundations, and that will cause a lot of problems in the future. So it's very clear. Do not engage or marry a pre-Christian. The fifth and last thing is not everyone is called to marry. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Apostle Paul says, uh, not as a command, he says. I'm not telling you as a command, but it is by counsel. I'm counseling. I'm guiding you. And he says that it is sometimes better not to marry so that you can devote yourself fully to God. It's really interesting that he actually, we see something like this in the Bible. But it's very clear that what Paul mentions is that it is a gift. It is not something you could be like, oh gosh, no one likes me. Okay, I'm going to be single now. It really is a gift that God has to give you. And one of the questions I ask sisters or men, because some people are like, I don't know, Pastor, I might have the gift of celibacy, because that's what the gift is, the gift of celibacy, not getting married. And then I simply say, do you sometimes lust after, you know, and they'll be like, yes, it's a struggle. I go, you don't have it. You don't have that gift, right? <laughs> so it's very clear. If you struggle with lust and you want to, you know, uh, and all I can say is you probably don't have the gift, all right? But there are some people, there are some people they have no desire, and some of them are, have the gift. Also, I would say as a little side comment, and this is a little bit more serious, there are people who struggle with same-sex attraction. We don't like to say gay or homosexual because that's an identity, and you are not an identity by called a person who's gay or homosexual. It's a same-sex attraction. You are made in the image of God. And those of us who are Christians who still struggle with same-sex attraction, it is in the same way as a person might lust after the opposite sex, that desire is strong. And so there are people who understand from Scripture they cannot marry the same gender. So what do they do? They voluntarily, as they pray, they ask God for that celibacy. So they make a decision not to get married, knowing that they will follow Scripture. So I've seen people who also decide not to marry, because they struggle with same-sex attraction, and they know that marrying someone from the same gender is what the Bible speaks against. So keep that in mind. Now, we talked about the biblical commands. I want to talk about the biblical calling. Why is this important? Under this whole uh, idea, as we're talking about here, this mandate about how our motives for being in a relationship has to be different. So the biblical calling is this. The Bible gives many commands about being different due to the calling that we have received as Christ followers. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen? amen. Pretty much, if I could give a bottom line, is you got to be different. Like those of you who hate to be different, then all I can say to you is you're not fully grasping what the Bible teaches. You have to be different. Someone who follows Christ is different. That's why you don't make the same decision as everyone else. That's why we don't do the same thing as everyone else. We're called to be different. Now, let me give you a couple verses. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, in the NIV, read it in the bold yellow with me. It says this, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life 
worthy of the calling you have received. To live a life that is worthy of the calling. The calling was very high. Jesus Christ paid that, that calling that we have now with his life. So he says, live your life worthy of that high calling that you receive through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. The Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 alpha in the New Living uh, Translation. I want you to read the yellow uh, with me. It says this, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Once again, this manner in which it reflects the worthiness of this good news about Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 in the New Living Translation. It says this and read the bold once again. It says, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. That how we live our lives can honor and please God. And I pray that that will be all of our desires, that we want to honor God and that we want to please Him. Now, these exhortations to live a life worthy of the calling are all rooted in our knowledge of what Christ has done for us. That now our desire more than anything else is to honor God and to please Him. See, once again, if some of you in this room do not fully grasp the gospel, this is part of what we talked about last week, gospel fluency. If it is not so deeply rooted in you, then your desire to honor and please God will not matter. Let me encourage some of you in this way. Some of you, before you came to our church, you called yourself a Christ follower or a Christian because you just went to church. But you don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, some of your spiritual desires have been completely warped. But for God's grace to bring you to our church, for you to experience more of the gospel, and you experience something that's more than just going to church on just Christianity that goes to church on Sunday. Some of you now, if you could look back into your life within this year or couple years, you realize some of your desires and your motives and the things that you want to do has changed. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. And the reason why is because now your commitment and your devotion to something or someone is different. It's different. Now it's towards Christ. And because it's towards Christ, you want to do everything to honor and to please Him. Before, you don't have that. Some of you are still learning that, and I pray that you will. That's why as you're growing in your sanctification, I'm praying that somehow that you will learn to surrender your life so realizing the worthiness of who He is, that all your desires, everything you're trying to do is to please Him and to honor Him. And that's why I'm trying to encourage Pastor Bo and I and the leaders. We're trying to encourage all of us to keep on growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Then your desires and your motives will begin to change and will line up with the things of God's heart. This is the reason why there must be a strong commitment to do relationships differently than how the world does it. You know what the sad fact is? Some of you, I will not be able to tell the difference. The way you approach relationships, I will not be able to tell the difference if you're a believer or not. That's how sad it is. Some of your friends will not be able to tell. So once again, we're not living this life worthy of this calling. You have to do relationships differently. Not what your parents tell you, especially if they're not believers. Even if they are believers, they'll tell you things that's a little bit more Chinese-based or Korean, I don't know, or Indonesian-based. And you're just like, wait a minute, what's going on here? I want to encourage you. That's why I grow in your relationship with Christ. It becomes a powerful witness to the world around us. So now, I talked about the motives. 
It has to be completely different because we see the biblical commands and the biblical calling. I want to talk about our methods must be different. The way we approach relationship has to be different. Can I just also give a disclaimer? I am not saying that there's only one way. I'm not saying this is the gold standard method for everything. It's not. We're all different. Everyone is in different situations. So you have to understand the principles, how these things apply into my life, my situation. But you need to honor the principles. So when I talk about method, I'm not talking about this is the only way to do it. Try to get more of the principles and how do I apply that into my life. When Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven, he left a community of followers who were going to transform the world. We know this from scripture. This is why one of the ways that the new community, the early church, the way they changed the world was that they changed the standard of doing relationships. It was completely different from the world. During that time in the Greco-Roman world, there were a lot of things that I talked about last Sunday about the way they treated women. When Christians came together, the way they treated women was so different. And that's why it got people's attention because, once again, they did everything what? Differently. That's what draws people to us when you are different, not when you're just like them. That's why you got to be radical. you got to be different in the way you live your life. And so one of the things that we see is that this community, this new community, the biblical community, they changed the standard of how relationships were being done. They were no longer just people getting together, but they were a spiritual family. That was a complete revolutionary thing that, like, you know your blood family. They're my family. But now these Christians, when they got together, they saw each other as brothers and sisters and older brothers and sisters in Christ and spiritual moms and spiritual dads. And so when the world saw this, it goes, this is very weird. We've never seen anything like this. But that's what a spiritual family does. The person next to you is your, is your spiritual brother or sister in Christ. So turn to that person and say, I'm thankful for you, brother or sister, depending on their gender. <laughs> so because we are part of a spiritual family, because we're part of a spiritual family, this is the reason why there are so many Bible references to the term one another. Everyone say one another. There are over 58 or so. Just You could study it yourself. There are so many one another's in the New Testament that no longer do we relate the same way as the world does or the way we used to before we came to Christ. But now that we are believers in Jesus Christ, the way we relate to one another is completely different. That's why things like be devoted to one another, serve one another, forgive one another, love one another. All these one another's changes the relationship because we are part of a spiritual family because we have one father one lord jesus intended that the biblical community would change the culture and the standard of how to treat people not only in the church but in the world let me give you some verses here to put this in perspective as we talk about the different methods as we approach relationships. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 in the NIV. Listen to what it says. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as your brothers. Treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. I mean, this completely changes the way you relate to people around you. If there's an older person, treat them as like your father, but it's a spiritual father. Older women, treat them as your spiritual mother. 
And then people around you, whether they're a fourth year or a third year, you treat them as older brothers and sisters in Christ or younger brothers and sisters in Christ. It completely changed. And the key phrase is at the end, with absolute what? Purity. What you will not do with your blood brother or sister, you do not do. So with your, think about if you're a guy and you have a little sister, you're like, hey, little sis. I mean, that would be disgusting. <laughs> Ew. Sick. You perv, right? Exactly. In the same way, if you see each other as spiritual family and you do with absolute purity, the way you treat these younger sisters, your motive, your reason for doing things, you will treat them as like your own younger sister. Now, I know some of us are very protective, and that's what we do with our younger brother or younger sister. You control them and stuff. Now, there's a fine line. So even though you do that with your family members, it might not be healthy with someone who's in the church. So we'll talk about some of those things later, but let me just first establish this, all right? Another verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse seven, uh, 4 through 7. Read the highlighted portion with me. It says this, that each of you should learn to control your own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. It's very interesting that Apostle Paul talks to the people of Thessalonica, and he says very clearly, don't wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister in Christ. Now, some people are like, what, what does that mean? Other translations, it says defraud, which defraud simply means that you are presenting something but you really mean something else and there are a lot of us and this is what I see time and time again where people end up getting hurt is that we take advantage or we defraud our brother or sister in Christ and this is what Paul says that you should not be in these types of relationships that is not honoring and holy unto God Another verse here in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says this in the NIV. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. See, once again, relationships in the church, because we're the part of the spiritual family, it is completely different from how the world treats people of the opposite gender. Then the question is, then how do we honor one another in this dating process in order to find out if that person is truly the one. Not in TST, but the one. <laughs> anyway, some of you had dinner there maybe, I don't know, the one, thinking, oh my God, this might be the day. But anyway, in order for us to find out, we have to clearly understand, listen to me carefully, we have to clearly understand and distinguish the difference between dating and dating with biblical principles. There's a difference because anyone can date the world, your Muslim friends, your Buddhist friends, or whoever. Anyone could date. But dating with biblical principle is a completely and entirely a different matter. So let me first define what biblical dating is. As best as I can, I want to define, I want to give you a, kind of like a quote-unquote official definition of biblical dating. And then I'm going to talk about five clear distinctives between biblical dating and just regular dating. And hopefully this will help you as we think about the method of how we ought to approach relationships. Biblical dating is this, and the, the definition will be up here. 
A purposeful process. Actually, let's read it together, right? One, two, three. A purposeful process for a single man and a single woman to get to know one another with the knowledge of their families and or church community in order to make a commitment to one another with marriage being the end goal. Long sentence. So this is what we want to call biblical dating. It is a purposeful, as even that lady said in the video at the beginning, dating with a purpose. It's a purposeful process for a single man and a single woman to get to know one another and with the knowledge of their families and or the church community in order to make a commitment to one another with marriage being the end goal. Now, if you are in a relationship and this definition does not describe where you are right now, that you are not biblically dating. I'm just being very honest and direct with you. You have some kind of worldly form of dating, and you are in a relationship. From the definition, there are five clear distinctives that I want to highlight for us that, that completely differentiates between biblical dating and just maybe a modern view of dating. The first is this. Biblical dating focuses more on being the right person rather than finding the right person. And we'll talk about this. Too often we're so tied up trying to find the right person. Can I just say this to you? The more you focus on being the right person, the more you will see different opportunities come up. Listen to me carefully. No, I won't ask, but there are many sisters, many, who want a guy who's all that. And of course, he's a strong Christian. He loves Jesus and he's going to lead me, lead my family. And so you want somebody up here. This is the guy that you want. 9.5. Bam. (laughs) But right now, you're about a six. Whatever that means. Let me just say this to you. A guy who's 9.5, rarely do they look for people who are a 6 or below. I'm just telling you straight out. Because they're pursuing after God. They're trying to love God. They have all these things that they value. And if you're not at least within that radar, you know, cell phone or the Wi-Fi, you know, trying to get that signal. (laughs) If you're not within the range, bye, bye, bye. You know, I'm telling you right now, you're going to miss that opportunity. Same, same with the sisters. If the sisters are, let's say, about an eight, and they're trying to pursue God or do whatever, and you are like a four. Dude, you can have all the muscles in the world, okay? Because without that muscle, you're really a two, okay? But let's say, listen up, listen up. Let's say you are at a four. We'll give you four and a half, okay? Because you got broader shoulders than that guy next to you, okay? You're four and a half, But if they're at an 8, 8.5, and you're at a 4.5, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be constantly looking for a signal, and she ain't going to read you at all. Because once again, where they are and what they're looking for will be much different from where you are. This is the reason why part of biblical dating, and it infers, is that you have to focus on being the right person growing in your character rather than trying to find the right. Because even if you find the right person, they won't find you. You could flick all your hair. You could do all the stuff, but they won't find you because they might be like, oh, she's okay looking or he seems very nice. 
But if their direction and their vision is focused towards this way, and you're not even moving in that direction, it's going to be very difficult. Another thing that you have to keep in mind in terms of biblical dating and modern dating is that biblical dating encourages other-centeredness rather than self-centeredness. One of the things that I see so often is people who are in dating relationships, they're always focused on themselves and one another. That's it. That's why I've seen this time and time again. And if I could just share with you, it, it is not focused on you or your, even your relation, even though that's important. Let me share with you a story that I've seen so often. It's that freshman year when that guy and the girl, I don't know, they were in the same dorm and they started hanging out and they realized they kind of like each other. So they start going out. They're in a dating relationship. And what do they do? Instead of being part of life group, instead of really serving and giving, getting to know other people in their class, they just stuck to themselves as a freshman. And then junior year, the third year hits around and all of a sudden the relationship goes sour and they break up. You know what I've seen? Here's a girl and here's a guy who has not, they have not built relationship with other people. Because they were so focused, self-centered on themselves. So guess what happens? They have no friends. While all these other people who are first year, they moved up to second year, they moved up to third year, they built good friendships. So now they don't have friends or good friends. They're trying to fit in there and it doesn't work because these friendships have already been built. Because they were so focused on one another. This is the reason why I do not highly encourage freshmen or sophomores, even juniors, to be in a relationship. One of the best things to do right now, if you could take my word of advice, is get to know as many people as possible. Learn to grow not only spiritually, but even relationally with people. That as you're growing as a person, and as you're growing spiritually, then there will be that person that I believe that God will have for you, that as you're growing, you're going to be heading in the same direction. A lot of times, fresh, freshman year, second year, third year, you're still trying to discover who you are. Can you imagine if you think I'm this freshman year and the junior year, third year, you're something else, and that person that you thought that was, that they're completely changed? Part of growing up in college is learning to know more of yourself. And the more you can identify who you are and grow in your maturity, that's when whoever you find, you're going to be able to move together a lot quicker than just trying to figure out, oh, is he the one or is she the one? The third thing is biblical dating fosters a realistic oneness rather than a superficial oneness. The world tells you if you spend a lot of time together, you're going to really get to know one another. And there's some truth to that. But I will definitely say that it's not always true. Because the purpose is different, you're trying to spend time with the idea, can I marry this person? So you will start asking deeper, harder questions that you might not necessarily ask if you were just kind of dating around. This is the reason why I want to encourage us, just because if she mentioned again, just because you enjoy, have these common traits together, that is not enough for this oneness that will lead towards marriage. Marriage it's so hard. Everyone say, it's very hard. You don't even know what you're saying, but it's very hard. Can I get an amen, married people? <laughs> Erica, we need to talk. Pastor Bo is very convinced. Amen. Relationship check, you know, amen. But anyway, <laughs> it is very hard. It will probably be one of the hardest things you do next to trying to follow Christ until the day you die. It is very hard. Some of you, if you don't believe me, just look at your parents. 
Some of you, your wounds come from your parents and what you have seen. And I'm telling you, and this is the part that breaks my heart. Some of you are going to repeat the cycle, and it breaks my heart. That even though you witnessed it, you hated it, you're going to do the same thing. How in the world, when you see something you don't like, you end up doing the same thing? Because it's about patterns. It's about generational things that pass on, whether you like it or you don't. Unless you encounter Christ and you deal with some of these things. That's why they always say the person you end up finding are very similar. To, if, you're, if you're a girl, it's very similar to someone who's like your dad. And also, if you're a guy, it's someone who's very similar to your mom. Because these are patterns you've learned. And you hate them. You hate some of the stuff that they did, but you're going to continue to move in it unless the Spirit of God can transform your life. And so the realistic oneness really comes with being able to see things with the purpose of marriage and seeing where they are compared to just superficial oneness because you enjoy a lot of things together, hanging out. Because you like to watch K-drama together, okay? Number four, Biblical dating emphasizes the commitment before the intimacy rather than emphasizing intimacy before the commitment. Oh, Jesus, come on now. What are you trying to say? This is how infatuation gets fueled. Infatuation is an idealization of the one you love or quote-unquote the one you love. You focus on strengths and you're blind to their weaknesses. You idealize this person to make them the kind of person you want them to be. It should be very clear. Listen, it should be very clear that in this state, you are in no position to make an objective choice if you, could, if you just solely rely on your feelings. The brain is focused on getting that person and keeping that person that sometimes you don't think straight and you don't see straight. Don't raise your hand. How many of you know some people who are in a relationship and you're like, oh my God. You try to tell them, you try to warn them, but they will not listen or they don't see it. You know what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. Dr. Thomas Lewis, he's a neuroscientist. I thought it was really interesting. He puts it this way. Love may not be literally blind, but it does seem to be literally incapable of reason and the levels of appropriate negativity necessarily necessary for realism. What this neuroscientist is saying is that so many things happen in your brain, especially when you are infatuated or you like somebody, you don't think straight. That's why you need people who love you to speak truth into your life. If you hang out with this person 24-7, you're messaging each other under the covers, <laughs> and you're like doing all this stuff, your brain is going to be lit up in your prefrontal cortex, and you're going to have all these feelings and all these thoughts, like maybe she's the one, maybe he's the one. And I'm telling you right now, even if some of your closest friends, even those people who love you to death, will speak truth in your life, you will not listen. This is why it's scary when I talk about this point, is that... A lot of times, when we do a lot of stuff together, you get intimate. It doesn't necessarily mean physical intimacy. Sometimes it does. But you start getting intimate, but there's no strong commitment towards marriage. So even if people say, this guy is not good for you, you will not listen. This is the reason why there's a lot of precautions as we move forward. I'll share about that later. And lastly, biblical dating involves the family and the church community rather than isolating the couple. What do I mean? When you are serious about biblical dating, 
because the purpose is towards marriage. You want to get the people who are significant in your life speaking truth and helping you guide because it's part of a spiritual family because you're going to be married into their family and vice versa and hopefully in the different church community that you're part of. This is the reason why we always encourage that dating is not just between a guy and a girl, but it's also involving family and community. Because if you're isolated and you're just by yourself in an island, I'm telling you right now, you are going to miss so many blind spots. This, this is the thing. We, we, just have, we just have to admit we all have blind spots. Okay? Everyone, repeat after me. I. Okay. I, and then say your name. I. Seth have blind spots. Let's, some of you are not saying with conviction. Okay, let's let's say it, say it again. Have blind spots. If you don't believe me, then you're living in a different planet. We all have blind spots. This is the reason why involving family and the community, the church community, it helps us to be able to come together and see things a little bit more clear. Now, let's break up into huddle groups. Like I said, we're not going to have too much time, so about six minutes. The question that I want you to talk about is this. What do you notice as one of the biggest differences between biblical dating and the kind of dating that the media portrays? So you might want to look at those five things again. And then second question is, why do you think it is hard to approach relationship according to these biblical principles that we talked about? Why is it so hard? Share a little bit about that, all right? So six minutes starting from right now. Maybe, maybe after tonight, you guys could go for dessert and talk about it more, all right? See, some of you guys are really smart. You sat, to, sat next to somebody you like, so you're talking about this already. So this would be really, really exciting. Praise the Lord. Some of you who are like, oh, shoot, I should have done that. Think a little bit ahead of time, okay? Be smarter. Be smarter. All right. Now, some of us might be thinking, okay, so here are these principles. Here are these things that I see. Now, if you're wondering about being in a relationship or you are in a relationship or you're hoping to be in a relationship... Now, the question is, what are the checks then? What are some things that I, I need to have in order to proceed forward? And so let me give you these relationship check. I'm going to go through these really quickly because there's a lot. There are 50. Just kidding. I wanted to make sure you're all awake, okay? <laughs> there's 12. Are you ready? Number one, do you have a biblical worldview of relationships and marriage? Very simple. That means that you have to, for your own conviction, understand what the biblical convictions are. So some of you might have to look into some of those verses. And what do you really believe about relationships? So if that's in order, I would say it's a check. All right? So I'm going to ask you, and then you can just say check. All right? Number two, do you have a growing relationship with Christ? Without this, you're going to replace Christ with that person you have to have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ if you don't I'm telling you right now you are headed towards a dead end and deep waters that you're not even ready for that is why sometimes I tell people you should wait 
because you need to be growing or that other person is in the process of growing. And if you pull that trigger and jump the gun, you're going to pay the price later on. That's why I'm encouraging you to ask yourself, do I have a growing relationship with Christ? And does he or she have a growing relationship with Christ? Sisters, if you want that guy to lead you and your future family, they need to have a growing relationship with Christ. If they don't, you have no one to blame. Because that is something that you've decided because it's so important that I be in a relationship above all else. And that person will become your idol that you cannot surrender to God. This is the reason why when Christ is your number one and the center of your whole life, then everything else is just a blessing that God gives you. And you will not put them as an idol. That's why before even I got married, I told Christina very clearly that as we were about to get married, like I'm going to always put Christ above you. And, she, and I thought she was going to say for sure, like, okay, then forget it. You know, but she was that much more ready for that commitment, knowing that if I put Christ above her, above the family, then she knows that I'm going to be listening to God and wanting to do what God wants, and it's going to be best for our family. So do you have a growing relation with Christ? Number three, do you have some direction in life? In order to be fair, let me just say, some of you have no clue. You don't like engineering, you don't like what you're studying, and you have no clue what direction in life. In fact, did you ever play the game when you spin around like 10 times? Some of you are like, okay, where am I? That's how you are right now. You have no clue of direction in life, which means that's not a good sign to be in a relationship. Because if you don't know the direction that you're headed and you start joining with somebody who also doesn't know what, what if a year later you feel this is the direction God wants you to go? And they're like, "Uh uh-uh then you already committed one whole year. This is the reason why I I encourage a lot of the brothers that you need to be more clear in at least a direction so that that sister will be able to know where you're headed and if that's something she's willing to commit to. This is the reason why when I decided that I was going to be a pastor, um, first I wanted to be a missionary, but I found out many, or after we got into the relationship, she found out that God told her that I'm going to be a pastor. I'm like, who the, you know, but I, I, I was like, I was 100% sure I was going to be a missionary, but God told her that you're going to marry a pastor. Like, she literally heard this audible, like, this kind of impression in her heart, like, you're going to marry a pastor. So as soon as we were kind of praying through this, she said, maybe he's not the one because he's talking about missions all the time. But then in that process, God changed my heart that I was going to be a pastor, but I was going to be a different type of pastor. And look at me now. I'm a pastor, but doing missions in a different way. So God knew. And so this is the reason why when she told me later, I knew you were going to be a pastor. I'm like, what the? I'm like, how did you know? And she goes, because God told me. I'm like, okay, then, oh, all right. Then let him talk to you some more and then tell me what's going on with my life, you know. Uh, Let me just share this with you because this is also just from experience. I have a friend whose uh, father was an engineer, and the, the father and mother, they got married. And after about 20 years or so of working in the field or in the engineering field, he felt this call from God to be a pastor. And the reason why they struggled was because she said, the wife of this uh, husband said, I did not get into this relationship thinking that you're going to be a pastor. Are, are, you, are you with me? Do you understand what's going on? Because she didn't feel this call to be a pastor's wife. And he was called to be a pastor like 20 years later after they were married. They'd been married for about 20 years. But there was like a calling from God to go into pastoral. They struggled. And my friend would tell me some of the struggles within their family. And so when I think about that, I realize, I mean, God still is sovereign. and He still works. Amen. 
He worked in that way. But one of the things that is so true is this. If that sister does not feel called to go into the ministry as you might be, then what happens is that she is, she's getting into more than she bargained for. It is not easy. And this is the reason why having some direction before you get into a relationship helps to eliminate a lot of those uncertainties. And so if you know that that person is going to be a pastor, like that person you like is going to be a pastor, ladies, you need to receive that calling too that to be a pastor's wife and to be in this kind of really, it's not easy. But if you're like, oh, I like him, he's so cute and so nice and all this kind of stuff, and you're, you're not ready mentally, emotionally, spiritually to be a pastor's wife, it's going to derail that person as well as for you. This is the reason why I've always encouraged people that if a person is called to be a pastor, then whoever you're interested in, I said, you also have to make sure she feels this calling to go into the ministry as well because it's going to be that hard. Just a little side comment on that. So do you have some direction in life? And so the question is, is there a relationship? Check. There is. You're doing so far so good. Three for three. Some of you are so excited. Three for three, three for three. But wait until the end, okay? Wait until the end. Number four, have you received some counsel? You know, too many people are lone rangers and try to go forward in a relationship without counsel or guidance. Now, I am not saying that you always need to get people's approval. That is not what I'm saying. A major part of the reason why some of us do not want to seek counsel and talk to older brothers and sisters is because we are very self-sufficient and most of all self-centered. It's all about you. Another thing I realized after all these years of helping people in relationship and even marrying people, I realized that some of you don't seek counsel. Do you know why? Everyone say. Okay, let me say it again. Do you know why? I will tell you why. <laughs> the reason why is they are afraid of hearing something that they don't want to hear. Time to go. Time to go. Let's be straight up. I don't like the beating around the bush stuff. The reason why some of you don't want to seek counsel is because you don't want to hear something that you don't want to hear. What if that older brother in Christ says, hey, bro, I just don't think she's ready or this is not going to help you right now. Who wants to hear that when you're self-centered? I actually had people contact me the day before they're going to say something. And I'm like, dude, it's too late. You do whatever you want to do. One of the things I tell people, if you get me to a point where I said, do whatever you want to do, that's not a good sign for me. That means you already made a decision and you're already going to head and do this. So I cannot, I'm not going to try to change your mind. Because I won't be able to change your mind. You already decided. That's why I always, whenever I talk to people, it's amazing. You do not jump from point A to point B automatically. That's why whenever someone is already at point B, that means that they were doing a lot of stuff from point A to right up here. They were texting. They were talking. They were doing all the stuff. They were getting close together. Now, when they try to bring it up over here, pretty much what they want is approval. And I'm not going to give you that approval that you so desperately desire. That's not me. If you want approval, find someone that you like or someone likes you and they'll tell you, oh, that's great. I will not approve of things. That's because of what you're seeking. But if you ask me earlier, then we could talk. Here are some of the things that I see. Because I might not know something that you might not know. There are other people who know something about that person that you have no clue about. So if you bring it up at A, around this point, 
as things are, maybe you have certain feelings or whatever, then we could talk through it. But if you bring it up right before B, then I'm going to pretty much say, you know what, you just do whatever you need to do. Because you already made a decision. You're going to do what you want to do, and you just want my approval, and I'm not going to give that to you. I will try to pray for you. I'll try to love on you, and hopefully that sister will not get hurt. But all I can say is you made a decision, just like Pharaoh. You made a decision, so that's on you. Now, I'm not trying to be mean about this. What I'm trying to say is this. Check your heart. If you're already saying, I'm not going to let anyone know about this relationship. I don't want to bring it up because I don't want to be told what to do. I want to do what I want to do. Then you already made a decision. I'm not here to try to change your mind. This is a decision you make. Listen to what it says in Scripture. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, the message translation. Without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. Huh. Come on now. Some of you already know this story, but I, I share this quite often because it, it's, it's a living proof. Uh, there was this guy who approached me, and he said, Pastor, I really like this girl. I want to approach her. And I'm like, whoa, slow down, champ, slow down. Because she was also in my context, so I knew her very well. And he was also in my context, so I knew him very well. And I said, you better slow it down. Slow your ride. Slow your roll, bro. I said, listen up. She's going through something you have no clue about. And I'm telling you right now, if you approach her, it's, it's going to backfire on you. I was as honest as possible. But he's like, no, I really feel like she's very open. And I'm like, okay. I don't know what more I can do except for slap you around to get some sense into you, but I'm just telling you, I talked to her this past week. She shared some things, and I don't think she's going to be ready for a relationship. She's not even thinking about that. He goes, no, I really. So after about an hour into this conversation, I simply said, you know what? Do whatever you, you, you Remember, once again, when we get to that point, that simply means, you know what, no matter what I say, what I do, it's not going to matter. You just want my approval. And I simply said, you got to do what you do. So I said, he goes, so I get your approval? I can approach you? I'm like, no, I told you where she is, but you are so decided on what you want to do, I'm not going to stop you. But I told him this, but if it doesn't work out, you better humble your freaking self and come back and we'll have a talk. So this person's like, yeah. By the way, this person is an A-type personality. They think they could conquer the whole world, even conquer this girl's heart. So anyway, he had a talk, and he approached her, and she said no. He came back, set up an appointment with his tail between, you know, his, he's like, oh. He was so depressed. He goes, oh, my God, Pastor, you were right. I go, Don't talk to me right now. <laughs> this is wasting my time. I already told you you wouldn't listen. And then about two months later, this girl actually came up to me. She goes, Pastor, I don't know what it is, but after that guy approached me and I knew I wasn't ready for a relationship, I feel like now I'm, I'm more open to it than ever before. I'm like, oh, great. Because just two weeks, three weeks before, he said he was interested in another girl. So I'm just like, okay, thank you for letting me know. I'll get back to you. I set up an appointment with this guy. I go, dude, let's meet up. And I said, I said, how interested are you in this other girl, the first girl? Because he was interested in the other girl. I go, what is wrong with you? Do you just have like testosterone just <laughs> oozing out of you? 
any girl that you see is like, <laughs> yeah, you know, no, okay, next one, no, next one. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? So I said, listen, I know you're praying for this other girl now, but I'm just saying, just hypothetically, if that first girl that you were really interested, if she is open to you now, would you drop everything and then she will be the one? He goes, oh, pastor, yes. Then I'm like, then I had to rebuke him. Why are you chasing after all these other girls? What is wrong with you? I had to put that in there, you know, just to rebuke him. And he goes, yeah, like if she's open, like I, I would gladly drop everything. And then, so I said, okay, let me get back to you. I go, listen, I go, are you sure? Like, what are some things you see about this person? And I did the whole, you know, nine yards or just talked to him about everything. And I talked to her about everything. She goes, I will be very open to it because I think there's certain traits and all this kind of stuff. I go, okay, I'll get back to you. So I said, bro, I go, she might be open. I cannot guarantee, but she might be open. So don't be stupid and do dumb things. No, I, I just said, just be wise in how you approach this. And he ended up approaching her, and they got into a relationship. They got married, have kids now, and they're doing some incredible things together for the glory of God. And they were one of our biggest contributors or donors when we first came to Hong Kong uh, because the impact of the lives have been transformed by my wife and our ministry together with them. Now, why am I sharing all this? I'm sharing this because part of receiving counsel is really submitting yourself not only to authority, but also the people that you love and respect. When you do this as a community together, you have an advantage. You have an advantage. Because that older person can speak up for you. They can advocate for you. They can do things. Or they can guide you and say, I don't know if this is going to work out. Because if I had this conversation with somebody else, this is another story. There was this wonderful girl in, in our church back in Michigan. And she had one of those personalities, every single guy liked her. I don't know if there was a guy that did not like her. She was very cute, very like sporty, but also just feminine. She just had it all. Like every guy's like googly eyed. They're like, <sighs> And her personality was so magnanimous that, like, you want her on your team. Whatever team it is, you want her on the team. She had one of those kind of great personalities. I'm just like, wow, she's a great candidate and stuff. And the thing is, so many guys approach me, and, you know, they heard these messages. They go, Pastor, I want some counsel. Um, I, uh, I really like this girl. And sometimes it's the funniest thing because they don't want to say the name. So they would be like, uh, I, I, I like this one girl. So I just sit there. Sometimes I, I kind of play with, you know, the whole scenario. I go, okay, do you know how many girls there are in this world? <laughs> if there's 1.7 billion, you know, you just do the math. And I, I just be like, I play dumb. I'm like, huh, uh-huh, okay. Do you know who it is? Hmm. No, I don't. Uh, do you want to know? Not if you don't want to tell me. <laughs> So I'm like, just, I don't want to play this game. You got to come front straight up and say, I like X, X, whatever, Indo. And uh, it just, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't know why that popped up in my mind. <laughs> I like this person X. And so, you know, and so this person shared with me, I'm like, um, okay, like, let me, uh, let me get back to you. 
because I had to talk to this girl for other stuff in our church because she was one of our leaders. So I sat down with her and I just talked about those things. And at the end, I'm like, is there anyone you like? And she goes, ah, no, not really. I go, really? And I go, well, describe to me like a guy that you, you like, you know. She goes, I feel really uncomfortable. I go, okay, tell me some traits that you don't like. And she was naming these traits. And it was describing that person to the T. <laughs> so I said, and it came, let me, okay, thank you. I, I went back to that. I go, dude, like, these are the traits that she does not want. And it's you, you know. <laughs> this is who you are. You have no direction in life. You're lazy. I, I was just going off and all the stuff that she just didn't want. Finally, there was another guy who approached me. And I said, it might work. I'm not really sure. So I ended up talking with her again uh, sometime in the future. And then I said, would you be open? And I said, I mean, give me, like, some options here. Who are some guys? So I said, okay, let's just play this game. I'll name a handful of guys. And out of those guys, like, who would you be at least slightly open to? This is what we call advocating. You know what I'm saying? So I named some of these guys. And I named a couple that are really bad that no one wanted. Okay? So I just wanted to at least eliminate. So... Sounds so mean, but I really had their best interests in mind, all right? So I, I named some guys I knew she would never go for, and then named some of these other guys that were interested in her, and I'm trying to find out where she is in her radar. And when she names some of these people, she goes, I might be open to this, but I'm not sure. Then I'm like, bing. Then I said to this guy, I said, if you're still open, I, I, I need for you to pray. But I don't think you should pull the trigger at this moment because she's making a decision about her future, whether to go further for schooling or some other things. I said, once that is decided, you'll have a better direction and idea of if this is going to work out. And hence, after that moment, they did. And it worked out. Now they're married, have kids, and they're doing great ministry uh, around the world. I'm sharing all these stories. Now, there were a lot of failures as well, but I'm sharing some of these success stories in the sense where there's something about receiving counsel that you are totally blindsided. You don't, you don't see without it. Because the person who is the person you're seeking counsel, if they know you and they know her or him, they know both of them, both of you well, then you will have a better and accurate view of if this is the direction they should go into. And so you still keep the family of God. And because the worst is when the guy approaches a girl and the girl says no, and it's awkward. You know what I'm talking about? Really awkward. Because we're dealing with college students. You're still awkward. You're still immature. You're still growing. So you're like, oh, my God. Oh, oh my. You know, it's just awkward. <laughs> and, and, guys, I'm telling you right now, when you pull that trigger and then you, you guys were friends, but then you pull the trigger and she says no or she's not ready for a relationship, she says no, then you know what happens? Every single time you try to do something like with legitimate motives, and you, she's always going to be thinking what? Ladies? Lydia, what do you think? What, 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 do, what, do, what do women think? He likes me. <laughs> her mask kind of muffled her, but she said, he likes me. That's exactly true. If you pull the trigger too early... What happens is that even if you were trying to hold the door, or try to be nice, just out of Christ's love, she's always going to be wondering in the back of her mind, 
Like, why is he asking me about this? She's going to be wondering, does he still like me? And knowing girls, if they already cut, eliminate you as a possibility, she's going to be like, ew, weirded out. And that doesn't help the community. There, somebody enjoys this about it. Praise the Lord. But you know what I'm trying to say? You know what I'm trying to say? It just brings awkwardness into the community. And this is the reason why we're not going to be 100%. Some of us are going to stumble and fall. Some of us are going to make bad decisions. But all I'm saying is this. If you want to honor God and honor people in the spiritual family, then everything that you do has to be different from what the world does. Because if you bring that kind of awkwardness, then it doesn't help that person. It doesn't help you. This is the reason why seeking counsel is important. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Fools, everyone say fools, fools. are headstrong and do what they like. Wise people take advice. See, these are the people that I feel like constantly bang their heads against the wall and they're self-centered people because they will always want to do what they want. And if you could just stop and think, stop thinking about yourself and thinking about God, start thinking about the community of Christ, how do we build it up instead of bringing it down? It will change the way you approach relationships. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20 through 21. Listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you will be wise. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. This is the reason why listening to advice, getting counsel is so important. So number four, as I mentioned, have you received some counsel? Everyone say, check. Number five, have you observed them in different contexts? You need to look at consistency of action. But it is easy to constantly think, oh, when I'm one-on-one -on -one with them, they're the nicest people. Of course. What are they going to do? Burp? Fart? What are they going to do? Of course they're going to be on their best behavior. Hello? When you're one-on-one, -on -one, they're going to always be on their best behavior, which I'm not saying that you shouldn't be one-on-one, -on -one, especially when you're seriously pursuing this person. There's a whole other step to all this, but I'm simply saying is this. If you're making a judgment, if that person is one and it's based on only one-on-one -on -one interaction, you're going to be fooled. Oh, they really love kids. Because look, every time I'm with them, they just love kids. But did you see them when they're with other guys and how they treat kids? <laughs> Could be different. Could be. Oh, he's so tentative and he's so nice. and he's just so. Did you see him with life group members? You haven't been with them in a huddle group, have you? Uh-huh. They take over the huddle group and they just control everything. You want to control freak over your life? Go ahead. That is your decision. <laughs> Observe them in different contexts. I always tell people, see how they are in two contexts that I think are very important. With other people, and during difficult times, how they respond. What is their perspective? That will give you insight of what you're going to experience with them in the future. Don't base it on one-on-one -on -one, because everyone is nice one-on-one. -on -one. Everyone wants to put their best foot forward one-on-one. -on -one. All their messaging and all their other, it's nice. But to really see who they are deep inside, see them interact with other people. See them interact with Difficult situations, and that's who you will see in their character. Numbers, everyone say number five, it's check. Number six, have they addressed the baggage from their past? If people don't address things in their lives, then those are the things that will bring a bigger conflict in the future when you get married. 
if they haven't resolved like people pleasing issues or even anger issues, and I'm just giving some examples, it's going to manifest when you're married and it's going to have a lot more effect. Can you imagine having kids and that person has an anger problem? It's going to make your kids frightened. If that person is a control freak, you think he's just controlling that, life, your, that part of his life now, he's going to control you. If you don't believe me, just watch. He's going to start controlling your kids. If that girl is really insecure and she's always focused on image and all that stuff, just wait until she has kids. What school does that kid go to? How do they look? There's going to be a lot of stuff. That's why I've been telling people, you got to give it some time to address the baggage or the issues in their lives. One of the best ways is to make sure that they have a mentor. They're growing and going back to growing in their relationship with Christ. Because if they're not, then you're going to enter into that baggage relationship and it's going to affect you. So do they address the baggage? doesn't mean they have to be perfect, but they're addressing it. They know what they are because half of it is acknowledgement, knowing what it is. And then it's working through those things. It takes time, but are they working through it? Number seven is do they have a common vision and values? So once again, kind of tied in with direction in life, but the vision and values are very important because that person, even though they might not know exactly what they're going to be doing, do they have that general direction in life? A married couple, listen to me, you have to make a lot of decisions in the future, a lot. And so if your values are different, those decisions are going to become the conflicts. But if you have general values that are similar and the direction that is similar, it makes it that much easier. That's why I've always said, how awesome would it be if you marry someone from our church? I know some of you are disgusted right now, but just listen for, uh, for a second. For a second. Just listen to me for a second. Because every single Sunday, you're being taught values and about vision. Every single life group, you get reinforced in values. So when I think about my wife, Christina, and so many others can testify to this in their own personal lives, is this. There is no way, I'm telling you right now, no way. If, if you know my wife, some of you who don't know her, see her on Sunday and then make an appointment. You don't know me, but I know your husband, but I want to get to know you. Freak her out a little bit, okay? Make an appointment with her. But let me say this. There's no way we would have gone to Indonesia in 2009, 2010 to start an international church. That would have been absurd with any other woman to leave everything and to even take your kids out of school and disrupt their lives unless there was common value and vision. There is no way that she would have come to Hong Kong to start a church. After 20 years of establishing a church that's already stable, we have a good income, everything is there for us, families there. There's no way she would have left all that if it wasn't the same values and the same vision. Some of the greatest heartaches that I see amongst my friends and also other people are when they do not have the similar vision. I know some couples where the, the husband had to visit for missions, but then as they were going, something happened, and the wife decided, she, I'm not going to go. So what is he going to do? Just drop, her, drop his wife and children? No. So even when I talk to him, sometimes it's sad. I said, well, I know this has been your heart. You felt God was calling you to do this like what now and he goes well I have to just believe that one day God will change your heart or something else happens and when I hear that I'm like so sad because once again those things change over a period of time so the more you can find out the same direction values that's why I think 
having my wife being brought up in the same spiritual family at U of I, like we were radical there. We were willing to lay down our lives for the gospel. That's why she was willing to do a lot of the things as we move forward. Like that's why I believe if you find someone within the same context, it just helps. Doesn't mean that you're gonna, all of you are going to marry one another. Some of you are like, praise the Lord. But you know what I'm talking about. When you have similar values and vision. And there's other people with similar vision and value as you. So it's not just limited to here. But I think it will be ideal. A lot of things we're talking about. A lot of things we espouse. You're growing up together in it. It's one of the best ways to build that kind of marriage. Number eight. Are they respected in their circle of influence? (laughs) If the people who are the closest to them do not respect them, that, that means that there's a major character flaw. Something is wrong, and it will come back to haunt you. Some of you guys don't believe me because you have no clue. Like, if they're not respected, they're always like, they're the brunt of the joke. Everyone just totally disrespects him. I'm telling you right now, there is something wrong. Guys, in the same way, if that girl has really don't have too many girlfriends, I always tell people, I tell the brothers, that's a yellow flag. Because girls are very relational. By nature. That's how God designed you. And if they don't have too many girlfriends, then that means something major is wrong. They might not even know that. And I know this is a sensitive issue for some of you because some of you have been having a hard time trying to develop friends over the years. But I'm just simply saying to a lot of the brothers, if that girl rarely has any close friends, then that means there is something that has not been addressed in their lives. That doesn't mean that they cannot grow. I'm sure they will if they can address it within their hearts and be honest with themselves. But it is a yellow flag because because girls are relational, if they have a major character flaw, a lot of other girls are not going to handle that. So watch and see if they have other sisters that they're close to. That will give you a glimpse of what kind of person that person is. So keep that in mind. Are they respected? If the guy you're interested in, everyone just makes fun of this person and they, don't, they think very low of this person, I'm telling you there is something wrong. And so that should be a yellow flag. So brothers, better rise up and grow. Be respected amongst your circle of influence. Every guy, every time your name is mentioned, they should be like, yeah, that guy's, yeah, he's, he's cool, man. He's, I wouldn't mind following him. Like, ladies, if there's a guy like that, he's a keeper. He's a keeper. Because that means that they have traits that probably is respected amongst those guys, and it's most likely Christ-likeness traits. So keep that in mind. When I was interested in Christina, that's one of the things I did. You know, very subtle way. I'm like, oh, you girls always hang out together. Ha, 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 ha. And then I'll be like, what do you think about that person? How about Christina? They're like, oh. (laughs) I love it. I love it. When I was interested in Christina, because I was praying about somebody else. Some of you know the story. I'll tell you later. I don't have time. But when I was kind of interested in her, I just wanted to see if she, because, you know, what I experienced of her, and especially in our small group context, she was so loving. She was so compassionate. She always reached out to those people who are hurting and all that stuff. I go, is she for real? Is she, like, faking it? Because, you know, sometimes my presence can just overwhelm everyone's, I'm just kidding. But anyway, I'm like, is she faking it? Is she the real deal? That was my question. So I began to ask some of her friends, and every single person that knew her always spoke highly of her. They loved her. And then once we got together, all the girls, during the wedding, the wedding day, 
We're about to say our vows. All her girlfriends came up to me. She goes, Seth, you better know that you're getting the better deal of that. I go, whoa, okay. I'm like, all right, settle down. Settle down, woman. Settle down. And her bridesmaid would come out like, if you do anything to her, I'm going to. And I'm like, whoa, okay. I, 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 get, I get it. I get it. You love her. You care for her. Not for me, but I get it. I understand. Like, that's the kind of person you want that everyone speaks so highly of and they love so much. That's when I knew she's the real deal. And after 20-some years of marriage, I can still say she is the real deal. And so make sure that you look at, is, are they respecting their circle of influence? Number nine, do they have character traits that reflect the likeness of Christ? I don't have to speak too much upon that because marriage is hard and you want someone who becomes more like Christ. Fruit of the Spirit. Are, do they display that? And one of the best ways to know if they have it is, once again, look at difficult situations. Look at how they interact with people in life group because there's always unlovable people. There's always those people who give you a headache. But are they becoming more like Christ? Number 10, are they getting discipled? If so, by whom? Once again, this is a huge, this is huge because it's getting discipled means someone is walking alongside them, helping them in their walk with Christ and in their character. If this person is a lone ranger, there's no one who's discipling them, I would seriously raise a yellow flag and question. Because that means that they don't really have anybody to help them. And we all have blind spots. And it's important to know by whom. Why is this important? By whom? Because the person that they're getting discipled by, that person will become more like that person. So... If there's a person that you really respect and they're getting discipled by them, then they're going to be growing in those areas. That's very important. Number 11, two more. Are there things brought into the light? Or if you want to put it, is the relationship or things that you are doing with this person, are they brought into the light? One of the things we have to understand is that things done in darkness will not lead to God's blessing because he is the light. And everything that he does is in the light. John chapter 3, verse 20 in the New Living Translation says this, All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says this in the New American Standard Bible, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead, uh, but instead even expose them. When it comes to relationships, it is so easy not to bring things into the light. Because we're either ashamed or we don't want people saying things to us or telling us what to do. What do I mean? That means simply, if you are in a relationship, to bring it public, to be able to share it. Let me put it this way. Maybe this will help. Because if you don't bring it to the light, bring it to the public, then you're going to be very foolish. And let me try to illustrate it with this. It will be like having a senior, a fourth year senior who's about to graduate from university and they did really well in school they already got a job and it's a job that is like coveted by so many people and then they're in your life and then you fail to ask them which classes they have taken how to study how to do certain things which internships to do and how to take some of those internships you'll be very foolish not to seek them now why is this related to relationships? I think there's a lot of similarities because some people have gone through things, whether good or bad. Some, some relationship worked out. Some of them made mistakes, so they have wisdom now. If you're not seeking advice and you're not actually looking for people 
who are in that kind of relation, what you're doing is you are then trusting in yourself and only yourself and that other person that you're in a relationship with. I've seen so many people be in relationship, but they don't share it with anybody. And you know what's the problem with this? And let me just be straight up with you. When you are in darkness and you don't bring it up, I do not see how God can bless that. It's almost like here's there's stuff that's going on, and I'm just going to bless that. I don't want to say your relationship is evil, but sometimes when you are in darkness, then what happens is that it's very hard for God to bless it. Let me give an example so that we can understand. Now, please, I'm not going to even mention the country because I know that people are going to get offended, so I'm going to try to hold back as much as I can. I have nothing against culture issues as long as it's not against the Bible. So every single time I hear from people, but pastor, this is a cultural thing. This is what we do in our country. This is kind of like what the Asians say and all this other stuff, you know? And I'm like, okay. Does it go against the Bible? If it does, then I don't care if it's your culture. Let me give you an example. If there's a culture that actually kills people, you look, pastor, I'm going to kill him because it's my culture. I know, I, know I'm, I know I'm giving an extreme illustration, but I want to bring it to the extreme to help you to understand it. Just because your culture does something, but if it's against the Bible, you have to go against it. Are you with me? But if you say, well, in my culture, Pastor, we make dumplings during this week. I don't care. You can make dumplings. You can make noodles, whatever you want to make. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that that cultural thing is wrong. Are you with me? So I don't mind cultural things as long as it's not going against Scripture. If it's going against Scripture, then it's wrong and you have to go against your culture. So let me give you one example. In one culture, I won't mention the culture, but in one culture, there's this thing called underground dating. Well, now, since somebody gave it away, in the Indonesian culture, someone gave it away, so I cannot, you know, it's not my fault. I was trying really hard not to mention it, but since somebody from that country went, woo, so now we're all free for all. In the Indonesian culture, we got two Indonesian brothers up in the front. Can I get a good amen? <laughs> They're just like, please don't share, please don't share. <laughs> it shot, literally, I, my mouth dropped when I heard this. I'm like, what is, so I, there was a handful of Indonesians that I was kind of hanging out with. I go, what is going on? What the, what is this? They said, pastor, in our Indonesian culture, when there's somebody that we like or we think we like, we're not sure, we tend to kind of go underground and try out the relationship a little bit. And when things are going okay, then we come out. It's kind of like. <laughs> we're in a relationship. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is that? And what is the worst part of it? 
everyone knows because you're hanging out with them all the time and they go are you guys do you guys so not only do you lie which the bible clearly talks about you should not do but you're being deceitful which is also bad and I'm asking, and this, I'm, in the seriousness of my heart, how in the world can God bless a relationship that, if that's how you start off? So to me, I don't care how cultural that is, but if it goes against scripture, then you got to fight it. Do it differently. So other Indonesia from the 248 million people in all these 10,000 and whatever, 273 islands in Indonesia, they can see, wow, you do it differently. Because you love Jesus. All the Indonesians are like, oh. I don't get it. Unless you could prove to me in scripture why that is allowed where you could be deceitful. Even people are saying, do you like her? You spend a lot of, oh, no, no, nothing's going. And all of a sudden you pop up and then everyone says, oh, you are in a relationship. You don't get to point A to point B just like that. That means you are doing all this stuff along the way. That's why when you bring it out into the light, you get counsel. And it's not like we're against relationship. We want you to be in a relationship. But to do it in a way that honors God, that honors the community. Because we talked about that. So I'm speaking strongly on this because I see this as a pattern for some of you from certain countries. And certain things that you think is just normal and it's cultural. And all I'm saying is that not from scripture, it's not. So unless you wake up, unless you say to yourself, even though I grew up this way, this is not right. This is not what the Bible says. And you repent. And if some of you are in that kind of relationship, repent. Bring it to the surface. We're not against it. Maybe that is the person you're going to marry. Bring it to the surface so that you can get counsel and help along the way. Because we don't want broken hearts and broken relationships to break the community of God. We want healthy relationships that will lead to marriage, to healthy families that will transform the world. I should stop. Number 12. Are they committed to Christ, the church, and the cause of Christ? CCC. When you see a person's commitment to the church, they will help, it will help you to discern how they will be interacting with your future family. I shared this in the beginning, so I'm not going to have time to go into it. The more you find yourself, or the more you find someone who loves Jesus, the more you'll find someone who will love you. Therefore, ask yourself these questions. Does this person give their time, treasure, and talents to the church? Is this person willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Do they love people and minister to others? I think those are some basic questions because that will tell you how they're going to treat you and your children in the future. That's why I'm telling you, brothers, learn to love the church. Learn to serve. Learn to be passionate and reaching out to people because you're going to develop skills that you need so that when you are in a relationship and at least to marriage, you have kids, you can love them in the same way. Now, if you feel pretty confident that you have the person or you have these things that I mentioned here and you're ready... Then the question becomes, how, can I approach them right now? Can I actually approach them tonight as we have dessert? <laughs> the answer is, well, it depends. <laughs> if some of you feel like you are ready, but there are a lot of things you might not be considering for that other person. You might feel ready, 
but maybe not other person. So let me give you some quick things, questions to ask yourself in order to make a decision to enter into relationship or not. Number one, is starting this relationship now what's best for that person? If it's not best for that person, but you're, you're ready, you have all these checks, what I will say to you is wait. Because you're just being selfish and thinking about yourself. I have seen so many guys approach sisters because they feel so ready. But when you think about where the girl is, she's not even close. And we prematurely, and literally they could have gone on a certain trajectory, but because you came in like a missile and knocked that plane off, now they're heading in a different trajectory. And I see that and it breaks my heart. I go, you selfish dude. All you think about yourself, you go repent. I'm not saying that relationship is cursed by God or is not from God. I believe that God is going to work in your life whether or not who's involved. But all I can say to you is you're just thinking about yourself. And that's one area you got to grow in. Stop being so selfish and thinking about yourself. Because the question you need to ask, you might be ready. But the question is, is that person ready? Is this what's best for them at this moment? And if it's not, do you have the humility and do you have the love to be able to say no? Because truly... If you can say, I'm going to wait, that's a sign of love. Ladies, you want those kind of guys. Because if not, when you get married, they're going to be self-centered and selfish, and they're going to make decisions and do things all for themselves, and it's going to affect you and your future children. So look for guys who are unselfish, not self-centered. See how they make decisions. So that's what you have to ask. The second question is this. Will expressing all my feelings now serve and honor that person? There are so many people that just want to share how they feel. And once again, you're thinking about yourself. Let me give you an example. There have been guys who are chasing after this one girl. And when they start getting this weird sense that that guy's like, you know, bum rushing that girl, like all up on, you know, like, hey, and this guy starts getting nervous. Guess what happens? He wants to pee on that tree. Some of you are like, what? If you look at dogs, do you know what they do? They pee on certain areas. Do you know why they do that? It's a territorial thing. Oh, that's his pee. Okay, I'm going to go over here. So there are a lot of guys out of their insecurity will approach a girl when they're not ready. She's not ready. But they will just pee on that tree just to let all the other guys know, hey. Or it happens during the bedtime fellowship, BTF. They're just kind of, you know, laying there and then they're like, yeah, do you like anybody? Yeah, do you like? And I say, be careful who you share with because sometimes it's not the wisest thing. And sometimes people ask that question because they want to know if you're interested in that girl. And if you are, they want to let you know that they're interested. And, you know, guys sometimes even make a pact. We're not going to let any girls come between our friendship, right? That's all BS, you know? They go, we're not going to let any girl come. Yeah, just wait until if she's the only girl. And then you're like, you're going to fight for it. Some of you ladies are like, I would like that. You know, but anyway, you, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Is that you start peeing on that tree, when, which is not rightfully yours. But you pull the trigger ahead of time because you're insecure, you're nervous, you think some other guy is going to get her. Just from my experience, there were a lot of guys chasing after Christina. A lot. And there are a lot of guys peeing all over the place. <laughs> If you don't believe me, you talk to her. But I'm just like, nah, nah, man. I was tempted to do something, but
But I just knew that it wasn't best for her or for myself at that time. So what I had to do is go into my prayer closet and trust in God and believe if that she is the one, that she's going to say no to every single one of these guys. And she would just turn around and see me. <laughs> I mean, what else can I do? I have to believe that. I have to trust in that. And lo and behold, I won't tell you all the details, but some of them were very close to me, like roommate close, and they were talking late at night. I'm just like, you. in my mind, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. I'm going <laughs> to... Forgive me, Lord. Trust, trust in you. And it was amazing because after I did approach her, and we talked together about some of this. She knew some of these guys were interested because they were doing all this bad stuff, crazy stuff. But she goes, yeah, I just knew that that person wasn't it. And God told me that you were going to be the one. And I'm just like, that's what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think I was that confident. But I'm just like. Will approaching and sharing your feelings at this time, will it benefit that person? Will it honor that person? If it's not, stand down and wait for that time when God will bring it about. Number three, are we unnecessarily stirring up emotions? Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, Bravo, in the message translation says this, Don't excite love. Don't stir it up until the time is ripe and you're ready. There are so many of us that are stirring and stirring, and this is not the right time. Let me just say this. Ladies, you know what will stir you. And guys, some of you who are, I don't want to say you're players, but you know what I'm talking about. You know what those things are, but we continue to do it. I just don't think it's helpful. And ladies, listen, can, can we have a real talk? Let's talk real here. The worst for some of you ladies is when you know a guy likes you. You got to go repent. You know why? Because in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't like him. He's not my type. But it feels so good knowing that a guy likes me and shows me this much attention. So I'm going to abuse him and use him. <laughs> oh, these bags are so heavy. Who will save me from this wrath? This guy's like, I'll help you. Oh, will you? <laughs> you know. I'm so hungry. I want McDonald's fries. You had a bad day. You're looking through your WhatsApp group and WhatsApp and say, oh, he's going to give me a little hit, a little fix. Hey, how you doing? Literally in three seconds. Hey, hi. Yeah, what have you been up to? Oh, nothing much. And you just feel good using and abusing a brother. You defrauding him because you have no interest. You might because in the back of your mind thinking, hmm, how many other guys are there in our church? There's four others that are possibilities. This guy is on the bottom of the list, but at least he's there and showing me some attention. So therefore, if I can't get it from these other four guys, I'm going to get it from her or from him. And why am I sharing this? Some of you ladies, you need to go repent. 
What are you doing? You're stirring their heart. If you know that he's interested and you're doing stupid stuff like that, I just don't think you could, with a clear conscience, keep on doing that. You need to repent. This is where guys get their hearts broken because if you're not totally serious and you're doing all this stuff and then they're hoping and thinking and then all of a sudden they find out that you're involved in another relationship or you're not interested in it, you were never interested, do you know how devastating that would be for the guy? We already have a fragile eagle. You pretty much crushed it and smashed it and no turning back. And your conscience doesn't even bother you that you live like that. I'm not saying girls are the only ones. Guys do that too. And just to tell you, I mean, I'm sure guys are going to kill me because I'm giving you our plan, how we do things. Usually we have several choices. And we send out beacons, lights that glow. And then we see which one is receiving the signal. And the same way, either our wicked hearts or other things, and we will try to do all this stuff, because we're trying to calculate. I like her, but uh, just, uh. oh, she has this, but uh, she doesn't have what A has. It. Uh. And then C, oh, whoa, whoa, yeah, but she doesn't have what A and B have. So they're in a state of searching. But the guys are not stupid. They like to keep all three close by. They want the signal 360 around. So ladies, for every guy who's talking to you, he's probably talking to two other people. That's why part of marriage is to be able to get to that point where he says, okay, I'm eliminating all these, and I choose you. What girl does not want to be the one? K-11, the one. (laughs) Every girl wants to be the one. That is pursuing, cherishing, being cherished by somebody. Gosh, how long do we have? I don't know. We're going to end it here. Number four, are my actions encouraging that person to love God more? Number five, am I communicating clearly and in a way that helps that person? Some of your communication, some of you guys are not helping them. Stop it. Number six, have I genuinely sought out counsel and shared honestly with my disciple or mentor? Some of us might be in a relationship right now wondering what to do. And if some of these questions are not fully answered, I want to encourage you to sometimes take a break and really pray through. Some couples have done that. They realized they were heading in a different direction. And after hearing all these things, they realized, man, we're, we're not following God's heart. And so they took a break, prayed through it, and then they came back together. Some people, they separated, prayed, and they realized this is not it, and they broke off. But they broke off early enough that the damage would not be that great. The longer you pursue this, the more hearts are going to be broken. You will get more close emotionally, mentally, spiritually, even some of you tempted physically. And then when you break off, it's going to be that much harder. So that's why taking a break might help. So what are some next steps? Let me give you this, and then we'll have the people who are going to be answering quick questions here. First of all, surrender your desires. We have to remember that desire for a relationship is not bad. It's a normal part of life. But if it takes over and becomes an idol, then it's wrong. Listen to what Paul Tripp said in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. The objects of most of our desires are not evil. 
The problem is that they tend to grow and the control they come to exercise over our hearts. Desires are a part of human existence, but they must be held with an open hand. The problem with desire is that in sinners, it's very quickly morphs into a demand. I must, like I must have this. I must hold on to this. Demand is the closing of my fist over a desire. Even though I may be unaware that I have done it, I have left my proper position of submission to God. I have decided that I must have what I have set my heart on and nothing can stand in the way. I am no longer comforted by God's desires for me. I am threatened by it because God's will potentially stand in the way of my demand. How true it is. Some of you brothers and sisters, especially I've seen this in sisters where they feel like, oh my gosh, he's the one. And you hold it so tightly, and then you realize he's not even interested in you, or he's interested in somebody else. Some of you get devastated. And I'm thinking, you got to repent, because you made that guy and that relationship or that friendship way above God. You hold everything loosely, that if he no longer talks to you, or he no longer does anything towards you, then you can say, God, I surrender it into your hands. The harder it is for you to deal with, that shows you how tightly you've been holding on to it. you got to learn to let go and surrender that. Number two, serve God in your singleness. It helps you to develop your character and the things that you need to serve your future spouse. So serve God in your singleness. This is the best time as many of you are single, not in a relationship. Get involved. Serve because you're going to build a character that you need. Like think about it. Do you think you want to change your baby's diapers? Do you, do you, some of the all-nighters that you have to put up? Like to build that character now so when you are doing things, serving is tiring, but you find great sense of joy. When you develop that now, when you do get married in the future, you build that trait, that grit that you need to persevere. Even when you're committed to somebody and trying to help them, to serve them, even though they're totally rebellious, it's going to help you, prepare you when your teenage kid totally turns away. What are you going to do? So build some of those things now. Number three, safeguard your mind and your heart. This is how you know if you have not safeguarded your heart. Let me give you some questions for you to think about. What I mean safeguard is this. The Bible says that our heart is the wellspring of life. So we got to guard it, your mind and your heart. So here are some questions. If some of you are in an ambiguous relationship or weird friendship or whatever you want to call it, I hope it's not underground, but whatever you are in, I'm telling you right now, these questions will help you if you have not guarded your heart. Or not guarded your mind. Number one, when people who are close to you are not as excited about this person, do you get discouraged or deflated? Oh my God, he's so... And your friend's like, eh. Then you're like, oh. That means that you're not guarding your heart. That means you already decided in your mind, he's the one. But he might not. Listen to your friends. So, or listen to counsel. This is very important. So if, if people who are close to you know you, and they're not excited about it as you are, then you should question Number two, are you distracted in a gathering if this person is there? So if they sit right next to you, like, oh, my God, Lord, I love you. Then you just, as you're singing, you say, blink, I love you. Oh, you're sorry. And then you just worship it. You're totally distracted. Something is wrong in that time. You're not guarding your heart, and you're not guarding your mind. Number three, do you break commitments when this person spontaneously asks you to do something? Mm-mm. Sorry, mentor. I know we have a discipleship meeting, but I have to take care of something. Yeah, I, I have to study. Oh, I didn't find out about this exam until, yeah. I don't know. You, once again, you're lying. Number two, you're not being very honest with yourself. 
So this is the test. You know you haven't guarded your heart or your mind is that if they contact you spontaneously and you drop everything and you come to them, how can I serve you? I look at you, I'm like, you're being like an idiot, dude. Don't do that. Have some respect for yourself. Have some respect for yourself. Ladies, have some respect for yourself. Don't cancel that LCG. Don't cancel that meeting with Pastor Seth. All right? Have some respect for yourself. <laughs> Number four. Do you get jealous easily if someone else talks to this person? <laughs> you know those eyes, that the red. <laughs> You're not guarding your heart. You're not guarding your mind. Number five. When that person doesn't respond to you as quickly or the way you want, do you feel rejected? Oh, my God. They're not responding in five seconds. What's wrong with them? Oh, my God. They might have a life outside of you, and they have to take care of other stuff. Number four, seek relational connectedness. This is the reason why we long for relationships, because we're not connected in the community. So find some relational connectedness. Get involved. Number five is stay satisfied in God. Because the more you can say he is above all things, then when there is a person, you will never make them into an idol. Can I get a good amen? There's some stuff I, I, I will share some other time. We have, we have years together, please. So you're like, oh, my God, I'm leaving next year. So talk to me separately. Talk to Pastor Bo. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to invite Pastor Bo and Erica. Come on out. And I know some people are like, oh, gosh, Pastor Bo and Erica, they're pastors in the ministry. So I was thinking, who else can we invite that have been in relationships and have been hurt? And all the things that I'm saying, they're like, amen and amen. So we're going to invite Joanna to come out and help as well. She's being a good sport. She's like, oh, my God, I don't want to be up here. But I was just saying, like, she's gone through quite a bit, so she has lessons to share with you. All these crazy guys who try to pursue her and do all the stuff, okay? And if you know some guys, you know, then... Anyway, and then... And then uh, our sister, where's Annie? She's going to MC. Okay, she's, so she will take your questions. So we don't have much time. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is go ahead and ask questions that you want. You could address it to specific people, or you could just ask it generally, and then we'll have these other guys answer, because I already talked too much. So much time has gone by, so Annie. Okay, there were a lot of good questions submitted through the form. Uh, so one of them, actually, that has been recurring is, it kind of seems like, I think I'm guessing it's directed more towards Pastor Seth, but it kind of seems like, um, the way that is being shared, it feels a little bit restrictive, uh, our approach towards relationships. So is it okay to start a relationship and then just uh, be open to the future because you don't know what's going to happen and just get to know one another? And also, like, if there are issues, can't you just work through it during the relationship once, once it happens? So, um, yeah. Yeah, do it. Go for it. Do, do whatever you want to do. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a joke to see if you were paying attention to what I was saying earlier. I would say this. There are a lot of things that are never 100%, right? 
So I would say as long as majority of these things are in line, I would say, yeah, and as you especially see counsel, I would say get to know them. And one of the best ways to get to know them is in a group context because you get to see them for who they really are. Are they like really introverted? Are they thinking about themselves? Are they, are they always drawing attention to themselves? You know a lot of things about people that you don't see them on one-on-one. -on -one. So what I would say is that if some of these things are, at least the question is about being open to the future. Yeah, I, I would say you don't have to have 100% direction. No one does, especially at this age of your life. So I would say as long as their heart is set on wanting to build the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom, live for Jesus, I would say whatever comes and you guys are being willing to surrender to God. And then a next question that a lot of people ask is, how will I know that I'm ready or what age will I be mature enough to find the one? <laughs> Whoever asked that question, go repent, okay? And let me be honest with you. You're the kind of person who will always ask the other question, how close can we get? You want to know where that line is and then don't cross it so you could be Pharisaic, self-righteous, just as long as you don't cross that line. I have no idea. When will you be mature? I have no idea. If you stop being a jerk, maybe that could be one sign. I have no idea. So what I'm trying to, I'm, I know I'm being direct and because time and stuff like that, but what I'm saying is I cannot give you a time. I cannot give you a line. This is when you're mature. Like, yeah, I'm mature. Come on. Anybody want me? Come on. Come on. Be honest. Who will know when you're mature? No one does. So if some of these things are in line, then I would say then, yeah, step out in faith and, you know, talk to people and then figure out. But I cannot tell you when you're mature. I've seen 50-year-olds who are immature. That you're going to wait till 50? I have no idea. I've seen 18-year-olds who are more mature than 20-some-year-olds. I, I just get excited about this because when people ask those types of questions, it's like, how far can I go to the line and not sin or not be like... Come on. Anyway. Uh, Pastor, maybe they're saying it's a bit hard to gauge, like, where they are, you know. And so maybe if people can share stories <laughs> okay. about how they knew that they, you know, were ready. <laughs> how did I know? I mean, I waited until I was, like, 28, so I don't know if that's a good gauge, but <laughs> not the, there's, no, there's no magic number, but I would say... Um, yeah, I, I was. I would say if I could, if I confidently could say yes to a lot of those things that we talked about, some of those principles, some of those checklists, and be honest with myself, then I, I think. And then also, as you're talking with your counselor or your mentor or whatever, I think those are some good gauges for like, okay, I'm I'm kind of in the ballpark versus like I'm nowhere near, you know, a place where it's going to be helpful for me at this point. So, yeah, I think I think it's there's not like one particular factor, but then it's it's all those things combined. I guess for, like, a woman's perspective, I think, like, just maybe, like, security is a big thing that helped me. I think just having many years of, like, working through just who I am as my, like, own person, like, learning how to find my identity in Christ and just having moments of, like, being tested in my contentment and just where I find my value and identity. I think those are good markers where, okay, yeah, I, no one's going to ever say, like, I'm perfectly 100%, you know, finding my identity in Christ. But I think that those are good maybe markers of, like, growth and maturity as we, um, yeah, know Christ and know more of ourselves as well. But I mean, but it does go back to like, there is no line because even after you get married, even after you get into a relationship, even after you get married, you realize you have more issues than you thought you had, right? And you realize, 
you realize you're, you're not as mature as you thought you were, you know, and so I think it's just an ongoing process, and so... Okay, another, maybe this comes from someone who's like, you know, interested in someone. Actually, a lot of people ask about this, like, how does one make the first move? Or also, who should make the first move? Like, I think sometimes people in this society feel like the, the man has to be the one who make the first move. So, yeah, how does one make the first move? Who should make the first move? And then in that line, like, if there's no context but you're interested, how do you get to know them? <laughs> I, I was told that men are created to conquer and pursue. So that was my understanding that God, I mean, just how God like created men and women, you know, differently. And so I think for me though, as like, for, I think for me, it's like an issue of control. I think there are times when I wanted to control or like maybe, or my mom would tell me like, you can't just be a parked car, like go do something about it. And I'm like, what should I do? I don't know. Am I supposed to like initiate and go like ask guys out left and right, you know? But it's like, I think for me, God really worked on just like surrender. Like, can I trust you know, that God is going to work things out, like, in his timing, and to be able to, like, yeah, be able to, I guess, submit to and also respect the man as well, and give him that, I guess, platform to be the one to initiate, and I feel like that, I mean, I'm sure from the guy's perspective, it's not easy either, but I feel like it does build them up in some ways to be able to, like, go through that process, and so to be able to, you know, kind of be surrendered, and also, um, yeah, just trust that God knew what he was doing, even though I had to wait, or it felt like, I, it was like, I was, like, powerless, I felt, and it felt kind of frustrating, but I think learning those things and how it sharpened my character in the process. Yeah, I, I did not feel like a conqueror <laughs> in any way, sure, before. I mean, I think Pat Southern are very different. He's definitely more of that A-type, a more B-type personality. But I, I think it was good for me in the sense where it forces me to be proactive. It forces me to take initiative in that sense. Um, and I realized, it wasn't until I got married, I realized that not, it doesn't have, like, I think in marriage, you're, you're, you're equal but then you have different roles, right? And so I think even in, in the Bible, I realize as the husband, I need to take a leading role. And whether, you know, it's, again, it's not a cultural thing. It's just a biblical thing. And so even starting the relationship with me having to approach her and being the one. I mean, also, it's putting yourself out there, possibly getting burned, taking responsibility in that sense. It was helpful for me personally just to have to go through that because that was kind of like something that I would have to go through in, in marriage as well, having to make decisions, be proactive. And I, yeah, I think there are a lot of times where I can see my own tendencies of like wanting to be passive or wanting to be like defer, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, she, I, I can say that she doesn't like passive guys. <laughs> um, so I, I think it sets that kind of tone um, and it, it's just good for guys to be able to exercise and practice that. Yeah. Uh, I think since I'm here to share about what not to do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Learn from my uh, my pains. Uh, I would say how not to take the first step uh, for girls, especially, is to not uh, lead guys on. Uh, I think a lot of times for girls, it's really easy because a lot of things that Pisa has shared because we find a lot of values, a lot of identities, and a lot of times you want to you kind of feel good when guys give you attention, and and so you kind of wanting to collect that more and more and more, and then so. And then guys are passive, right? And they don't know, kind of they're confused. And then you're just like, let me just give you a sign. And then so you start kind of manipulating the situation. And um, yeah, like, you know, hey, you want to you wanna hang out? Or like, hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in the area. You want to you wanna <laughs> grab a bite? <laughs> 
so little by little, and then uh, I, I actually I used to hear this is when uh, back when emoji first came out, way back when when I was in college. Uh, I, I remember hearing guys say like even when we send out text, but then we add a little smiley face at the back. Uh, for guys, it's kind of like oh like she didn't just say. Okay, he says, okay, smiley face. And uh, to guys, that, that it, it does a little bit something extra to them. Uh, so I think for us, some guys, <laughs> okay. so, some guys not some guys. Uh, but I think with that, I think if we're kind of constantly doing that and leading guys on, I think sometimes guys get confused and they think this is also what they want, but really it's what you wanted for them to think that they want. And then when that kind of relationship or when that kind of interaction ends up in a relationship that is not uh, kind of prayerfully considered or really counseled through, um, and also because it started off like shady, so then you also feel like I don't really want to ask people about it or tell people about it because I feel like <laughs> I will just get rebuked. Uh, <laughs> a lot of flashbacks. Do you have a personal experience? Should we reenact it right now? A lot of flashbacks and conversations with Erica. Um, but yeah, I think that's where it will lead to uh, just kind of a darker and darker place. And then in the end, you just, you don't know how to kind of get out because it's kind of too late. You're already in this, but you don't, you know, you're not really good for each other. So either way is a lose-lose. So that's what I would say. Like, as you're feeling some things, and uh, instead of kind of just going forward with it and trying to lead guys on and, and end up somewhere that you don't want to be, might as well be uh, smarter and take a step back. And that's better for everybody too. Like, it doesn't mean that women just have, like to sit there with like a stone cold face and just like you know like I think you can still get to know people and you know if you are interested you can still give like you know signals or at least affirmations in an honoring way that's not like misleading or that's not like out of your character and still you know like yeah <laughs> show that you're <laughs> you're not like you're kind of interested or that you know you're you want you enjoy their company things like that so we felt a little bit of that right yeah I think the best way is to. <laughs> is to follow Ruth in the Bible. Just lay at his feet, and then they will know, okay? Okay? Just follow the Bible, okay? Ladies, listen. Guys are stupid. We, we don't catch signs. So I think there's different things that you can do, right? And we don't want you to get to the extreme of flirting and being flirtatious and stuff. But I think there's little... Because guys, like I said, they're a little bit insecure. But one of the things I realized about guys is that when they're around somebody that's very encouraging, kind of supportive. If you go like, oh my God, that's so stupid. Like, oh my God, you're so wimpy. They will not like you, okay? You're giving the wrong signs. But if you give them like, oh, that's really thoughtful, that's helpful, and you're just kind of in a positive encouraging, I think for guys, they interpret that and like, oh, wow, that's a trait that I want in a you know, future wife. And so you're giving signs, but in a healthy way. I think that's probably the best approach. Uh, we got a lot of questions about this. Um, if I'm already in a relationship with a pre-Christian, what should I do? Or if there are two pre-Christians, but one of them becomes a Christian, what's the best way to approach it? How can I help the uh, pre-Christian to believe? How can I convince them? <laughs> or, yeah. Talk to Kieran. I'll let Pastor Bo answer it now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say just number one is you can never, you, you cannot convert someone. Um, and actually sometimes by you being the person who is like attached to them in some way in the relationship can be the very thing that prevents them from coming to know Christ. And 
I mean, whether it's a relationship or like it, same principle even with parents. You know, I think there are there are times where, for me, I felt like being spending more time at home with my family would help them to come to know Christ more. Um, but in fact, the opposite happens. You know, like the more you try to witness or the more you try to share, the more they get turned off actually by you know just because of your relationship or the nature of who you are. And so I think, I, and I've had a lot of friends who tried that and it just always ended up poorly. Um, so, yeah, number one is you just cannot control, you cannot force people to believe. So you cannot put your hope into those things. And so going back to what we talked about in Scripture, that's why it's not good to be yoked unequally in that sense. Um, and so I would never recommend uh, continuing that relationship. I think you just have to answer one big question. How much do you love Jesus and want to obey him? Answer that question and everything else will fall into place. Because if you believe that you should not be unequally yoked, and being able to say, hey, let's say, hey, so-and-so, uh, you know, this is my faith. This is something that's very valuable to me. I feel like we're, like, on two separate blueprints. And so just to be able to take some time off, and that will help them challenge them. Now, be careful if they do come to know Christ. So I'll, I'll be a Christian because they're becoming a Christian because of you, which is not good either. So I would simply say continue in this relationship Knowing that it's wrong, I would say you're making a very bad mistake. So I would say stop, take a pause, pull back. And one of the things I've encouraged some people is introduce them to a brother, you know, if it's a guy, a sister in Christ, if it's a sister or if it's a girl, and then have them talk together, be in that relationship so they will understand why you made that decision, why is that important. And then they will realize, wow. Jesus is that important to you that you're willing to forego this relationship. It will speak powerfully, powerfully that you value Christ more than anything and anyone else. Will it hurt them? Of course it will. But it's that wake-up call that will help them to realize, wow, maybe I need Christ in my life. And so the reason why it's so hard for you in a relationship right now is you are physically involved. You are emotionally attached. And that's why it's hard to break it off. Whenever you are that close with somebody, it doesn't matter who it is, it's harder to break it off. So before it goes any further, I will warn you and wisely and passionately try to convince you to take a pause, pull back, pray through this, and introduce them to some other brothers and sisters in Christ who can maybe help them in that process. On that note, then, how, how to, do we have a healthy breakup? Or, like, how do we bring up, like, taking a pause in a healthy way? <laughs> sure what not to do, right? <laughs> I need a moment. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, you guys, I've, I've talked a lot. You guys, you guys should. Okay. I, I can share a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I think just because I've had, like, a lot of friends or peers have kind of gone through this, and I think... Um, actually, one of my really good friends was in a messy relationship where they were physically involved. They knew that they wanted to break up, or they knew they, were, they needed to break up, and it was unhealthy, but they just kept on coming. You know, they, they did the, oh, let's separate, and then they came back together, and let's separate and came back together. And it's just when that happens over and over again, that is probably one of the unhealthiest ways to do that. Um, I would say what they, and, and this is them sharing in hindsight what they wish they had done before was just have one conversation where they can just share honestly with one another just what some of the things that they felt were, what some of the issues were, what some of the counsel they received, and just come to some mutual understanding and create some healthy barriers or boundaries between them 
to say, let's just cleanly break it off and just have some clear boundaries of, you know, because like, I think just knowing people that, you know, especially those two friends, because they were physically involved, they just would always go to one another. They would just always long for one another, especially when things got hard. And so knowing that they had those tendencies, then they got accountability, like friends that they had or mentors who just helped them go through that process and, and pretty much go cold turkey in that sense because it was so unhealthy. I'm not saying you have to absolutely go to cold turkey, but sometimes you just you do need to have like a really clean break for that to for each person to be able to kind of develop on their own afterwards. Yeah. I mean, agreed. But I would definitely say a lot of times I don't believe in like the gradual because it just never works from my experience. There has to be that moment where you said this is it and just cut it off and. Uh, Part of it is being able to, I know some of you will feel bad if some of you did things and you hurt them, you're gonna feel really bad, so you're trying to like uh, assage the issue a little bit, but I wanna just tell you, the longer you per, per, you know, prolong this, the more pain it will come. So I always say it's better to prick them with a pin than stab them with a knife. It's gonna hurt, but one will kill. So that's why I say it's better to be honest, have that conversation, and then put some boundaries in. And sometimes you might have to not so much block them, but you just have to clearly state that. And certain things you just got to be able to say, I'm not going to do. Because what normally happens is they're going to try to reconnect with you in different ways. And that's where you need some conviction, and you need people to help you along the way. But as you do that, time, I know it's such a cliche thing, but it does heal. And sometimes God redeems it. I've seen people, even in my previous relationships, that even though things didn't turn out exactly the way I wanted to turn out, that somehow God redeemed it. And so that takes time to be able to see them and not get angry, not to feel hurt, but to be able to say, okay, like that, that was a period of time when I was foolish. And even some of my relationship in high school, you know, you're still young. You don't even know what's going on. And so now when I see some of these guys, even when I was in college, when I see some of these guys, I'm married, have their kids, it's not this awkwardness, but we're just able to now look at it and say we've matured. And that was a period of time where we were immature. So, Sure, one more thing. It's not about a breakup, but, like, let's say there's kind of like a shady relationship where it's, it's like one person really likes the other person that other person knows. Um, I mean, this happened my first year where I really liked this person, and then this person <laughs> didn't like me. Um, and, then, and then that person found out that I liked them, and they just totally cut me off. And I didn't realize, because this was back in 2000-something, I didn't even know there was a term for it, but I, I, found, I guess you, it's called ghosting. So I realized I got ghosted <laughs> later on. I didn't realize until I shared the story later, they're like, you got ghosted. I was like, oh, I got ghosted. <laughs> Um, but so I wish that person that person hadn't just like totally cut me off. I wish they at least like talked to me or something like that. So I, I recommend at least talking to that person. But I, I am thankful that that person had a clean break because I think that clean break really helped me to get over it and process through my emotions rather than kind of being like led on for several months afterwards. So like I was able to kind of get over it um, much much quicker that way. Uh, I, I, I can share, uh, I think. Um, <laughs> this is really awkward. I've never seen a single person up here during a relationship seminar. Anyways, uh, I, I feel like Kieran should join us up there in that chart. <laughs> 
Uh, I, I would say one thing that I feel like is really important is to kind of like having a, some kind of closure in that sense where you're uh, agreeing in a, on a difference that cannot be reconciled. Uh, so for example, like if you're kind of ending this relationship because like, oh, because you never have enough time for me or oh, because you never do this for me, that's something that can be changed. You know what I mean? So then later, this one of the party could be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to drop everything else for you or okay, I've decided to change my priorities or I've decided this, this is no longer going to be the case for me. And then there's always that, that desire to then or something that drives you to say, okay, yeah, then maybe I can go back to this. Maybe it's okay to try it again. But at that moment when you have that conversation, you need to have to come down to a point where okay, this is really just either a character difference or we're just yeah, no longer seeing this as something that God is doing in our life. Uh, we really feel like there's different uh, priority. We're moving on to different seasons in our lives. I think that's something that you cannot go back and like, you know, like that feeling of wanting to backpedal and say, oh, maybe that's not so true. I think those are the things that we have to be spelled out clearly and also for the other person to understand it's not like personal to them. It's not just something about them that they need to kind of work better, but it, this is just uh, together as a mutual understanding and then so there's no hurt feelings in that sense. And then, yeah, I agree, setting some expectations, even in terms of like, oh, like, you don't text me at all anymore? Or is it like at least one time a day is okay? I think having those clear markers. So when we see each other, is it okay if we still talk? Uh, because if we don't have that talk and the next time you don't even greet them, then they will feel hurt. So I think kind of setting very clear boundaries and knowing your context together, I think that would be helpful, especially if you're gonna continue in the same community. I think all of you mentioned having very clear boundaries or having like boundaries is helpful. What are healthy boundaries, um, especially like physical boundaries? Because um, I think often it's implied, but um, not explicitly shared. So yeah, what would be helpful for couples or people considering? I want to start. Um, physical boundaries, just go with the tan line. Like, whatever. <laughs> like, I, I, I kid you not, I kid you not. Like, like if, you're, if you're at the beach with your life group friends. Like, I mean, I'm saying if you're in a relationship, right? And you're, you're dating or whatever, and you're saying, like, I mean... I think there's some people that they'll say like, oh, we're not going to kiss until we get married. I, I think that's personal preference. I think there's some people who end up doing that. But I would say if there, if, if you, yeah, kissing I think is okay before marriage. But, hey, what do you do in Brazil when there's, you know. <laughs> True. But yeah, I mean, I would say just, yeah, use, use wisdom. I think for me and Erica, we, we committed to, um, like, not being in each other's rooms, like, kind of alone by ourselves. I think that was something that we were, like, at least wanted to commit to together. What, what else was there? I think even, like, even when we went on dates, I think we set times, like, this time at night. I think it was, like, 12 p.m., like, if we're hanging out together. Sorry, midnight. Yeah, 12 midnight, like, we would make sure we're we don't hang out past that time. And we would tell our roommates, like, if we're not back by this time, then you need to message us. Or you know something is going on that we're not doing something, we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, um, that kind of stuff. And I think, I mean, the heart behind it is, like, to be able to honor one another. And I think also to be able to um, engage in even physical intimacy, like, at the point where, or, like, in a way that God intended, right? I think that it is within the union of man and woman and to be able to honor each other as well as 
uh, honor God just through how we were able to, yeah, do our best to honor that. Um, and I think just also just like, yeah, amount of time and frequency spent too, I think. I mean, for me, I feel like it kind of goes back to the values, but I think because we both like did value investing in community and being able to not make our whole lives about each other, I think still being able to have those um, investments and time outside of ourselves. I think it has been really helpful, and I think it's something that I think is healthy because if, if we were, if it was all about us, then I think it would just be very inward focused and just very kind of self-absorbed. And so I think even in terms of like relationally too, being able to have some of those um, boundaries and commitments that we make, I think together was helpful to talk about. And also how we interact in public too. I think just respecting the community. Like if we're constantly just hanging out together, even while we're in a group setting, that's not very honoring to other people. So I think there were, those are some commitments that we, we try to make. And I think it just goes back to, I guess, what Pastor always talks about, like depravity of man. Like, I think you just don't realize how much you're tempted until you're actually into that relationship. And so, you know, like I thought that, oh, here I am, like I'm a leader in our church, I've served on an executive team, like I'm a pastor, you know, and so I should be above those things, you know? But then the same struggles that everyone has shared in the past, like watch out for these things, this is why this boundary is important. I was like, oh my God, that is a temptation, that is a struggle that I struggle with. So that's why those uh, boundaries are really helpful, so. so Every couple and every person is different. Just touching hand like this, it might stimulate them in ways that are not good. It does nothing to me, but to other people, it might. So that's the line. Okay, once again, these are the type of questions that gets me all worked up. Whenever people are wanting to know where the line is, that means you want to sin as much as you can without really sinning. So, so once again, I'm going to confront whoever is asking these types of questions. If you're trying to find that line and you won't cross it so you can be self-righteous, then you're off. This is totally off. you got to know what's going to help them, right, and what's going to help you. I'm such an idealist. I said to, my, uh, to myself and to Christina, I am not going to kiss you until the wedding day. That is when I'm going to kiss you for the first time. Because, you know, I'm an idealist walking with her father, gives it to me, and they say the vows and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And then I remember talking to Christina, and she's like, um... Okay, uh, because for her, one of her love languages is a touch, so holding hands and all that stuff. So I didn't even want to hold her hand. I said, this is how we're going to, the first time I hold your hand is when your dad gives me your hand to me. <laughs> this is how radical I am. So this is what I told her. She, I could tell she wasn't like excited. She was just like, okay, if you think that's okay, then uh, okay. And then I listened to a radio program that says that, you know, there should be a gradual kind of getting a closer until the wedding day because... If you don't do any, like, holding hand or even just kissing during the wedding day or the night, whenever it is, and you already <laughs> do that stuff and you're about to come, they said the woman will freak out and lock herself in the bathroom. <laughs> and I'm hearing this. I'm like, I've waited 26 years of my life. I ain't going to let that happen. So then I'm just like, okay, Christina, let's talk again. Maybe we could just hold hands and, you know. <laughs> Because I didn't want to wait all these years and then boom, like she's going to lock herself in the bathroom and say, don't touch me, don't touch me. So, <laughs> so one of the things that uh, Pastor Bo was mentioning, which I totally agree, is that once I made that decision, let's hold hands and we can kiss, like that hill goes down really fast. I mean, praise God, he protected us, but still the temptation is very strong. That's why it was annoying myself. It was just my stupidity, but it was God's grace. Because if I didn't have that in the beginning, I think it would have been game over. So that's why for me, it's just knowing how to draw the boundaries. And a lot of times you measure by 
how close you are in terms of that relationship, how deep it is, and when that marriage date is. Because as you get closer to the wedding date, the temptation is even is increased even higher. So that's why I think you gotta kind of put that in perspective. Okay. Yeah. Just last thing is, I think for guys like, if you f- do not think that if you struggle with lust now, that it will somehow just disappear once you're in a relationship. It's gonna be the same, if not more. So, just put that into perspective. <laughs> Maybe one, maybe one last question. How? What's the best way to? I think Pastor Bo and Erica kind of touched on this. What's the best way to involve the community uh, without being like, you know, awkward about it? But also like, what does privacy look like? Because we mentioned how like, yeah, we want to involve people, but what about like privacy and stuff like that? So yeah, as we're like in a community, what's the best way to like honor that? Whether when you're interested in someone or you're actually like, proactively pursuing someone. I mean, you don't have to divulge, like, every little detail of your whole relationship with people in your life. But, I mean, whether it's, yeah, whether it's, like, struggles or especially in the beginning, I think I was just thankful that, you know, I had personal conversations with P. Seth and Christina as well. And I think they knew, yeah, I, here I was, like, 30 years old. Or, not, yeah, I think I was, okay, I was 28 when I first came to Hong Kong. So I think I was in this, like, dry, barren land for so long. And they knew that it was a struggle. Like, honestly, it was. And especially being in Hong Kong, I think it was really hard. And he did the whole thing of, like, listing all these different guys like he, that, that whole list of people, and I think I'm just thankful that I had people to like walk with me in that, and even the decision as well, being able to seek counsel in that process, and then I think yeah, I think respectively, I think just being able to talk with people and share about our relationship as well as like um, even just finding ways to I guess yeah again like invest in people outside of ourselves. So I don't know. I think um, being as transparent and open, and like I guess uh, I don't know like not being so enclosed in our own world, I think it was definitely helpful. Um, but I don't think we like talked and told everyone like every detail of our relationship either um, as well. So I don't know if that helps, but yeah. I think, I think it kind of goes back to the same values as well. And, and, and like even the purpose of marriage too, I think whether it's building up the church or like loving people around us, I think those things um, helped us to be on the same page so that it's not like he's going and serving and doing all these things. And I'm like, wait, what about me? Like, you know, why aren't you here for me? But I feel like we're both on the same page about things that we valued and wanted to invest our time in, so that was helpful. Can you restate the second part of that question? Like, like what about privacy? Yeah, like, because we shared about being in the light, but what about, like, their own privacy as a couple? Um, I guess it depends on what you mean by privacy, because uh, I would say the more that you can be transparent about, the better. Um, because just, yeah, there's a tendency to hide, right? There's a tendency to cover up things. Like, I mean, even going back to the boundaries thing, there were times where I just felt like, or Erica would say like, oh yeah, maybe I feel a little uncomfortable like, because we crossed this boundary, you know? And I think there were a lot of times where like, I didn't want to share with anyone or I didn't want to tell anyone. Um, but I'm just thankful that there were a couple times that she, she held me accountable. She's like, you should tell someone like either Pastor Seth or some of the older like married men that you're um, having accountability with or you're in relationship with um, because just knowing yourself or knowing myself, like I'm, I'm just sinful and, and I, it's easy to let my emotions or whatever desires kind of get out of hand. So I think just trying to be as open, as transparent as possible, at least with people that you trust is, is really, really important. Um, of course, you don't go sharing your dirty laundry like everywhere, you know, and just kind of tell... Whoever. I mean, that's not honoring to the person that you're with. Um, and so I think with 
few trusted people who are able to speak truth or keep you accountable is, is invaluable. I guess along with that, like how do you, like let's say someone likes someone, how do they seek accountability without like peeing on the tree or without like, <laughs> like, like divulging too much information? Like, because we want accountability, right? Let me just close with that question. That's why I've been really encouraging all of you to find an older brother or sister in Christ. Now, the only danger is that if that person likes that person as well. That's why I always find someone who's married, who's older. And I, I, like I said, or that person, there's no likelihood of them in that going after that girl as well. Because there's a lot of mixed things. And I've seen this. I've seen so many situations, nothing surprises me anymore. So what I'm saying is to find somebody who's either married, who can at least give you some input that you respect, or a way of just older brother or sister in Christ that it's not going to, you know, be something that's going to be a conflict of interest. And so I think if you can share it with somebody in that situation, you'll probably get pretty good counsel. Like I said, sometimes the worst counsel is your friends. Because if they like them too, they'll be like, yeah, she's really bad for you. Don't go, don't go for her. And then next month you're going after her, you know. And so the, the friendships are ruined. So I, I, I don't think your peers are the best counsel. I, I, I keep on hearing, like, I talk to my friends, I go, are you crazy? Anyway, so I'm like, that's being dumb. The best counsel are those people who have already gone through it and are married, and there will be no conflict of interest. They'll help you along, or someone who's much older who will be able to guide you in that process. And I think that's where wisdom comes in. Amen? Okay, let's give these guys a hand. Let's all stand together. Let's stand together as we close out. Man, I wish we had another like a couple hours or so, man. Stories after stories, things that we can share. Um, like, I hope you understand our hearts. We really want all of you guys to be in great relationships, which will eventually lead to marriage. But the problem is I think we're so sinful and self-centered that we want to do things our way. And I don't know how many times we have to go through pain and suffering for us to finally realize, not my way, Lord your will be done and I think some of you will slowly get to that level of maturity where you realize it's not about me it's about Jesus it's about what he desires that's why I'm a firm believer the more you pursue after the things of the kingdom the more your heart will begin to grow and that there will be people that God will bring your way that you might have never considered that they might be a possibility and I want to be a community where we have people who have gone through a lot of the stuff that you guys are struggling with, who you can go to and hear their stories. And they can tell you that it's worth waiting for. It's worth giving your life to first the kingdom of God and God's heart. And then you'll find that person and where you can bring that two hearts together to serve God together. Like, I don't have to go very far. Some of you come from really broken homes bad marriages that you've seen and some of you are like I will never do not say that there's a really good probability you're going to be just like your parents will you at least take my word for it I've, I've seen so many people over all these years of ministry there's a good probability you're going to be just like your parents but we don't stop there because some of us are believers and we're making a conscious decision to do things differently I believe you can break that cycle. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. You could break that cycle. But it's going to take commitment to God, commitment to His truth, 
and stop doing things your way and do it God's way. And like I said, I, I mean, I, I came pretty strong, but I want to challenge some of you who ask those types of questions. How far can we go? What Really check your heart. A lot of times those questions are like, I still want to do what I want to do, but just so that I won't cross that line and still be legit. That doesn't honor God. That's why you should check your heart and say, why am I asking this question? Why do I, why do I want to know this? And I know this is one area that I've seen so many people turn away from God. So many over the years. And it just breaks my heart. And one of the things I've come to the conclusion is some people just need to be hurt. You just need to realize that that is not it for you to turn back to God. And if that's you and you need to go through it, then we'll, we'll love you. We'll pray for you. Hopefully you can humble yourself through that experience. But like I said to many people, you don't need to stick a metal chopstick into the electric socket to realize it might electrocute you. You don't have to, you don't have to go through that. Just look at so many other people who have been hurt. So many other people who have gone through things. And also look at other people who have gone through the opposite, who have successful marriages and happy just relationships. Learn from those guys. Learn from people. And I'm praying and I'm hoping that in our church, we can have not only healthy relationships, but great marriages. Look around in Hong Kong with all that's going on. Look around the world. If they see something different, I believe it's going to be one of the most powerful witnesses to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about some of your classmates. They're in relationship and they have so many drama, so much drama in their relationship. What would happen if you could just be a different voice? Especially when God leads someone to you. That relationship would be different. Can I also say this? I think there's a direct correlation of maturity in terms of knowing who you are and your identity in Christ and being ready for a relationship. Sometimes you will not fully get there in college. And I know some single adults, they still are working through this. But God knows. This is where you have to trust in Him. He knows. You don't sit there passively, but you actively try to grow. You actively be open to whoever God might bring your way. That's why I'm committed to trying to raise up real men. R-E-A-L. Reject passivity. Exemplify integrity. Accept responsibility. And lead courageously. These four traits of being a man of God. And so ladies, you got to help me. If you want those kind of men, you got to help me. That means learning how to be supportive and not just be like to follow but learning how to say, I'm going to honor this brother because I want them to be all that God has called them to be. Because they might not be your future spouse, but they're going to be someone else's future spouse. Think about that. So I want to honor him. I want to do everything I can to help him to be all that God wants him to be. Same with us brothers. That's going to be someone else's wife. And for us to kind of play around and just try to do all this stuff, stir up emotion, I just don't think that's going to be honoring so let's do our best to say, I want to honor God. I want to honor these people around me. I want to build up just the community and advance the kingdom of God. And I pray that it will help us to take steps forward. Amen. So I, we don't have time. So I, I wish we could pray, respond and worship and all that. But God still can work without all that. Amen. <laughs> I know it feels so weird. Oh, we're not holding hands. We're not doing an elbow thing. What's wrong with this? This is not a real spiritual meeting. Yes, it is. You got so many truth bombs, you're, you're all messed up right now. So you might have to think through this a little bit. So I'm just going to pray for us.
can I just ask us just with our heads bowed let's just lift our hands and surrender to God can we just do that right now just no one else watching just you before God with hands surrendered hearts surrendered our lives surrendered Lord we just offer ourselves to you right now and we know that this marriage and this relationship thing is so important to you it's so important that you care so much about it that not only did you write about it in the Bible but Lord you place different people our way to help us in this journey so I just pray right now with surrendered hearts surrendered hands we give our lives to you we know some of us are anxious because we don't have somebody we want somebody I, I pray Lord that you will give us greater satisfaction in you help us to keep on growing and loving you more because the more we love you the more we love the church we're going to be able to love our future spouse i pray for some of those who are in relationships some of us after this we might have to rethink about what we're doing i pray that you give some of us courage some of us might have to take a pause break it off to really know what it is that you desire i pray that you they will be able to do it in faith i pray for some of these relationships lord as they're struggling through different things help them to work through it by your grace and lead them to a path that is everlasting that will help them to keep on growing i pray for some of us who are feeling as if you passed them by help them to know your plans are impeccable your timing is impeccable and i pray god we will fully trust you know what's best for us but it's hard to believe when we don't see things before us but i pray that you'll give us eyes of faith to see that you're able to do more than we can imagine i pray for some of us who've been in past relationships that we've been hurt a lot of pain a lot of wound lord you're the greatest healer heal our hearts heal these broken areas of our lives and god i pray that there will be a redemption story that will come forth for that is part of the gospel that you are a god that redeems i pray that you redeem our lives as we do relationships in a healthy way oh lord god you're the only one who can do this so we look to you father we look to you help every single college student in our church to do a relationship not so much the right way because there is oftentimes no right way because whatever path we choose lord you somehow get us to where we need to be but i pray that we'll do it in a way that honors you that glorifies you that will be the maximum level of glory to you lord so lord do that because we love you we want to serve you we want to honor you so bless all the future relationships in our church and marriages in our church we know that you're going to bring it about so we love you we thank you and we pray all this in jesus name amen and amen amen praise the lord thank you for listening to the harvest mission community church podcast for more information visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net